1: And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for The Sixth Sense, the final chapter in our anthology.
0: At long last, we end where it all began. Stuart Little? In the year Little? 1999. Yes, Stuart Little. <laughs> uh, an M. Night Shyamalan film. Man, this movie is so powerful, but when it ended and it cut, it like faded in word by word, and <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan film. I could not help but laugh. The perfect way to end this. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host. And for these past several episodes, past couple of months, my co-pilot, wandering, weaving in and out of the filmography of one Mr. M. Night Shyamalan for our aforementioned anthology, Julio, uh, one of the more celebrated films of our lifetime, And one that I think we always knew we would eventually cover on here. And it's fitting. It's a perfect way. I think one of the whole ideas behind the Shamal Anthology was that we would finally be able to do the Sixth Sense on the podcast here. So big happenings. It's a big evening.
1: We started with the happening. We're closing with a happening.
0: (laughs) There you go. Uh, For those of you who may be just be tuning in for this one, uh, we started, as Julio said, with the happening as a part of the live stream for The Cure Uh, podcast-a-thon, and then we decided, fuck it. Uh, If we make (laughs) enough donations during it, we'll start a whole uh, M. Night Shyamalan journey. So we hit our goal, and that uh, brought us through... We began with The Last Airbender, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, Then we moved our way to the Mel Gibson Classic Signs from 2002. Uh, On our last episode, Julio and I visited the... uh, Year, what was it, 3071? We went way into the future with uh, After Earth, and now wrapping it up with The Sixth Sense. Uh, Not M. Night Shyamalan's first uh, film that he had directed as, looks like, uh, Praying with Anger in 1992 and Wide Awake from 1998, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, a comedy drama with Rossi O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell, Dennis Leary. My God. But this was the one, unquestionably, that put the man on the map and is the reason that he is still getting work to this day and releasing things like old. Have you seen old, Julio?
1: Not yet. I have high hopes that uh, our social media guru, she went to see it and I told her, hey, just record your thoughts after and we'll put them uh, somewhere. So Excellent. so I'm hoping that she does that and uh, and we have at some point, maybe that'll be like our, our post credit scene here. Um just Zoe telling us without spoiling old what she thought of it. But it's I checked, it's at fifty percent of tomatoes right now.
0: Well, that you know, as we've learned, that <laughs> that can mean a lot of things. That's a that's a loaded fifty percent right there. Uh, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, I guess that's a good segue into what it is we do. Uh, here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, and we will make a case for why that is incorrect. Find uh, some of the flaws, the foibles, the, uh, just the things that were overlooked, underplayed, uh, I should say, and just kind of swept under the rug, the negatives about the movies. And then on the other side of the coin, uh, we will find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. We typically shoot for about 30% and below and uh, make a case for the things in those films that are, you know, understated or that should have been celebrated and weren't. find great performances, what have you. Uh, We are here to tell you Rotten Tomatoes is a heavily flawed system and that you can be over the moon about anything that you want to be and you can be. As cynical and negative about anything as you want to be. Uh, Julio, that comprises the first half of our podcast known as Contrarian's Corner. We always provide a second half where we explain and go into detail about how we really feel about the movies that we're covering.
1: That is correct. And the second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, we tell you how we really feel about the movie. The Sixth Sense, I haven't seen it since it came out. Uh, Alex, you've seen it more recently, but still, I saw your tweet. It's been a while. So, how do we really feel about The Sixth Sense? What are we going to talk about in real talk once we don't have to pretend that this movie sucks? We'll find out. I think this was the one chapter of the Shamal Anthology that I was the most curious about. Because in my mind, it was unlikely that I was going to change my mind about The Happening or The Lesser Bender or even uh, After Earth. But science was a pretty positive experience, more more positive than I anticipated, therefore setting me up for a, a similar experience maybe with the Sixth Sense. Uh, but I'm not telling you yet, Alex. I'm gonna, You're going to have to wait along with everybody else to find out.
0: Yes, being that the Sixth Sense is at 86% little bit lower than we typically go. We usually shoot for about 90% and above, but as has been the case in the past, and surely will be the case in the future, we make exceptions for the big ones. Uh, but this first half of the podcast, we will be bringing M. Night Shyamalan down a peg as if that hasn't happened enough in his career and life.
1: <laughs> it's going to go like, is there nothing sacred? <laughs> Can you at least <laughs> leave the sixth sense alone?
0: It is certified fresh. It's one of those ones that dipped below 90% that still gets that fucking certified fresh logo next to it that jpeg that the coveted it's like uh on parks and rec um joan calamezzo you know her book club if you get the sticker <laughs> your book becomes a bestseller i'm i'm sure i've made that joke before on the podcast
1: i know we've certainly talked about uh people getting a Did they get gotcha with joan is yeah. that the thing joan gotcha <laughs> yeah. don't it hurt you <laughs> that's that's every shamalan twist Night, gotcha.
0: Alright, Julio. So how did you <laughs> how did you watch The Sixth Sense? Uh The Sixth Sense, I rented it on Amazon Prime. Do you not have
1: Peacock? I don't. That you are you're, you're the, the cock user in this yeah, that, show.
0: <laughs> that is definitely me. Uh it's on Peacock for free. I think a lot of his movies are. Um anyway. Well,
1: I rented it. I rented it through Amazon. I watched it and I was telling you about this earlier. This is how like it's not that I wasn't excited for this movie, but how I was just like, it's a sixth sense. I know the sixth sense. So I actually watched the first 30 minutes on my break at work today mm-hmm. on my phone, as God intended. <laughs> it looked fine. You know, <laughs> it was fine. It was a sixth sense. And then about maybe I was like 20 minutes in, maybe even sooner than that. And I started feeling guilty. And I was like, no, man, I need to. <laughs> I need to watch this at home. And then, uh, yeah, I got home and I, I watched the whole thing again in the big TV. So I gave it its due. It looked great.
0: I watched a DVD copy of it, one of the original DVD copies of it. It might be the the original one. It's one I found recently at a flea market. I remember talking. You remember me talking about that huge haul? I found at like a flea market out in Elgin. That was part of it. It was the first time I'd opened it since I bought it, and I looked at the back of the disc. I was like, "This is no one's ever watched this. Like maybe once or twice." And uh, back when DVDs like were actually... The effort went into them. So the transfer was phenomenal. Widescreen, which was... <laughs> some people that listen to this may not know, but that was like a luxury back in the day, was having widescreen movies on DVD. But uh, like the the table was set because it was one of those that still had like coming attractions on it before you could get to the menu for the movie. So there was like coming soon to theaters was the mission to Mars, the De Palma movie. And, uh, the now available also on DVD and VHS was, uh, the 13th warrior. And, Mm -hmm. um, from dust till dawn three. Anyway, (laughs) took me back to the days of DVDs really mattering. So that was nice. Looked great. (laughs) Leo, you know, we're going to say a lot of hyperbolic things during this because this movie was that big of a deal, especially to people uh, during our lifetime and um we've talked about it before numerous times on this podcast. Maybe not the totality of the film being one of the most influential ever, but certainly of the modern era and of the past 25 years has, you know, a moment captured on film that People have endlessly been trying to recreate. So it's uh, there's definitely a lot to be said about that. And we'll just go ahead and get to it. 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, aside from, you know, the generational feat that this movie accomplished. It's still, you know, it's one that a lot of critics adore. So what uh, what are they saying about it? What were they? What have they been saying about it?
1: Well, Alex, I, I went through a gazillion fresh tomatoes and run tomatoes website to pull some quotes. There's a lot of people that like it. For example, Zazine Kohler for, from Black Girl Nerds says The Sixth Sense has most importantly been reminding us of how powerful children can be as forces of knowledge, awareness, and healing if only adults would actually listen to them. Okay. Does she believe that children can actually talk to ghosts? Is that what she's saying?
0: Yeah. She's one of those people that like kids should raise themselves and not be disciplined, or, you know, adults (laughs) shouldn't talk down to kids.
1: Yeah. And when they tell you that they see that people, they see that people. You should listen to them. Believe them. Yep. Uh, Paul Clinton from CNN.com says Willis turns in a measured and understated performance. Um, That is code for Bruce Willis turns in a really boring performance yeah does he ever raise his voice in this movie does he ever say yippee ye?
0: damn it <laughs> i need to jump in quicker this is but you've been like on a streak of stealing my lines i was gonna say not one yippy, kai or a in the entire movie is said
1: <laughs> yeah there's there's nothing that he doesn't quip he doesn't it's just monotone i've we'll talk about it but i've learned that if bruce willis is whispering in a movie you're in trouble that that's a red flag it, it just means that he just took it for the paycheck um gary thompson from the philadelphia daily news says one of the best child performances since anna paquin's turn in the piano
0: is that the one she won the oscar for yep
1: rogue before she was an x-men she was uh is she mute no holly hunter is mute in that movie i think she's, she's just. like 12 in that movie right? Mm-hmm. or
0: like was 12 irl
1: yeah do you remember when she won the oscar
0: uh, I, I oddly enough, I don't remember why, but I recently watched her acceptance speech from that. Where
1: she's just frozen. Everybody's like clapping and laughing, and she just can't say anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. Uh, infectious charm of a child. Yeah,
1: I would have liked to see Helly Joel Osmond pull that kind of stuff, that kind of charisma at the Oscars if he had won, which he didn't because he's not as good as Anna Paquin.
0: Or he just like went up and uh, started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> who's had like a really curt and really like terse acceptance speech of the Oscars uh, huh? Joe Pesci Joe Pesci yeah. famously
1: when it was like it's my honor and then he left yeah
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> Haley Joel Osment just does that or does like the I can't remember what award show it was where Michael Jackson went up and like told Eddie Murphy to lower the microphone for him have you ever seen that <laughs> no <laughs> Haley Joel just looks at whoever's presenting he's like what you fucking expect me to get on a stool out here or what god damn <laughs>
1: No, he would just like hold his Oscar, raise it and go like, for Bruce, and then walk (laughs) away.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Any more reviews? That's
1: it. That's it. Let's get to Contrarian's Corner because I cannot wait to complain about the fact that this movie didn't start with introducing Haley Joel Osment. What the hell?
0: Very cold credits. Very, you know, we're so used to... The Marvel logo. Well, I was about to say there's two types of opening credits that we're used to now. It is the opening credits that are the Marvel movies that have the the little comic book gimmick, but then are like overlaid over stylized graphics and like waving flags and shit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other one that we're really used to is pretty much the, the go to for any type of romantic comedy or just comedies in general is. Uh, the main or titular character waking up in the morning, getting ready for their day as the credits like play across the screen. You know what I'm talking about? Yep.
1: It sounds yeah. like the trailer for uh, Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds coming to a yeah. theater near you next week, I think.
0: Any Ryan Reynolds movie starts with those <laughs> opening credits, him getting ready to do something and doing his hair while, you know, best friends or just <laughs> friends at the bottom of the screen. So to watch a game changer like this and the opening credits are just white letters overlaid, you know, fading in and out of a, a black background. It was kind of boring. Like I knew where this was going and I was like, let's get to it. Uh, but it did. It reminded me that it started a, a lifelong friendship and working relationship with uh, Mr. Shyamalan and um, James Newton Howard. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. The composer. composer. Cause he'd, he did the majority of music for Shyamalan to this. Uh, it doesn't look like he did old, but I know every one of the movies we've discussed, he, uh, he was on the score for it. I would love if they just have like a, per, a professional relationship, but just fucking hate each other personally. They just can't get along <laughs> worth the shit.
1: James and Howard just doesn't get it. Yeah. I don't get it, man. He, he He's a um,
0: script for, uh, the sixth sense. He's like, really?
1: <laughs> He's been Wyatt and Shyamalan is little Sebastian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> perfect, perfect analogy. Uh, right away, Bruce Willis looking good. You would—I didn't remember how like hot he still was at this point. You think they would have used him like more to have some sort of sexual chemistry with Tony Collette, who's also you have two banging hot white people in this movie, and at no point is there any you know sexual tension between them?
1: Well, Alex, not to go back too much into our uh, extension episode, but the Sixth Sense it just suffers even a worse case of you know, what the extension suffered from, which is uh, being handicapped by its twist. There's a lot of things that would be cool if they happen in this movie, but they can't happen because Shyamalan can't tip his hand because, you know, he has to keep things mysterious until the last, I don't know, five minutes of the movie. So I agree. Like, wouldn't it make sense for Bruce Willis and Toni Collette to hook up in this movie or come close to hooking up to have the sexual tension that uh, Tom Hanks and Gina Davis have in uh, uh, League, League of, of Their own. own, yeah, it's said, Like she's a single mother, he's having trouble at home with his own wife, but you can't, and you don't understand why until the very end. That that's that's a failing, you know. It should make sense.
0: Julio, you have said this repeatedly since our happening episode. You started there, and you've been saying it every episode. It seems that we've been on going through the Shamal anthology. And that is that M. Night Shyamalan can't write dialogue for Dick. And the opening like exchange here and uh, Bruce's Bruce's wife. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to call him Bruce Willis the whole movie. So let's just go ahead and uh, introduce the character here. Bruce Willis um, plays Malcolm Crowe, a child psychologist in Philadelphia. His wife, Anna Crowe, played by Olivia Williams. Of Rushmore fame. Rushmore. Okay. I was going to say, what do we know her from? Uh, Okay, so what I was getting to here is Malcolm and Anna are just kind of hanging out and having some drinks in their living room because Malcolm Bruce Willis has been awarded uh, from an award from the mayor for his work with the community and you know his work with these children and whatnot. Um, That's cool. What's not cool is Olivia Williams' dialogue here, and no discredit to her; she's a talented actress in her own right. But she's like basically saying that he like Jesus come back to life, and that you know. She, she tells Bruce, give me your tired, your weak, your poor, your huddled masses.
1: <laughs> I, I thought that you were referring to uh, his whole – the first things that we hear out of uh, Bruce Willis's mouth is just some sort of weird rhyme. He's trying to be funny. And she says, when you're drunk, you sound like Dr. Seuss. And, and then he keeps going. And I thought that that's what you were referring to because on my notes I have like, man, remember when we thought that Shyamalan was just – Being funny when he wrote this kind of dialogue. This was before we knew that. No, that's how he talks like all the time. That's how his characters talk. It's not. (laughs) No, that's what he thinks is good. (laughs) Exactly. This is a standard. This is not him cute in the opening of the sixth sense. This is just. This is how how it's going to be forever.
0: Yeah, so they're celebrating, having a few drinks. They go up to their bedroom. They're gonna consummate the evening the old country way, and um, (laughs) they see that the house has been broken into and, and. As Wikipedia, as they always do. Whoever contributes to these always has a way with words. A young man appears in their bathroom and discusses Malcolm failing him. Malcolm recognizes him as Vincent Gray, a former patient he treated as a child for hallucinations. Before he can talk Vincent down, Vincent shoots him and then himself. Vincent, as my notes read, it's Saw's Donnie Wahlberg, (laughs) also of NKOTB fame.
1: Yep. I I was surprised that... I don't know what surprised me the most or disappointed me the most—that Haley Joel Osment didn't get an introducing credit, or that Donnie Wahlberg didn't get a reintroducing credit. It's... <laughs> Either way, he's he makes such an impression. I, I mean,
0: yeah, he's—we joked about it leading into this, but it's been so long since I've seen it that I had to like reconfirm that it was Donnie Wahlberg because he he is like unrecognizable, um, which I think is. Good. I don't. I don't know. He, he but went he's on also to acting. He like, is like really. <laughs> which, which if you've seen Saw, you know that he chooses when and how to turn that on. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg is a, an interesting cat, and um, yeah, I love the idea of the reintroducing instead of the and credit, it's the welcome back credit. <laughs> welcome back, Donald Wahlberg.
1: <laughs> it's a. It's intense. It almost feels too intense compared to the rest of the movie because mm. I told you Bruce Willis is on whispering mode. And so he is underplaying everything and Donnie Wahlberg is just screaming and freaking out and he's wearing – he's in his tidy whities It's like two different movies happening at the same time. And then he's gone like so quickly. That in, I think you made the joke maybe last episode at some point that uh, Mark Wahlberg was just mad that Donnie Wahlberg was in the better Shyamalan movie. (laughs) I don't know if that is the case, but I would say that Donnie Wahlberg makes as much of an impression, if not an even bigger impression than Mark Wahlberg did in an entire movie. And Donnie Wahlberg just has like five minutes of screen time here.
0: Remember me and my little, I was going to say little boyfriends, but that when I was a little boy and my friends and I saw this movie, uh, We like the line we always quoted from this was we just thought it was funny the way Donnie Wahlberg said, I do. I do. (laughs) And so that was like a joke amongst my little crew of Hellions when I was a wee lad. So that, that was always like seared into my brain. I agree. There's so much to like want to learn about this character. And Donnie Wahlberg is so good in like the 90 seconds he's on camera. So naturally, he kills himself immediately. Um, but not before he can get his jab or I guess shot in on, uh, Malcolm crow and Julio, if you haven't seen this movie yet, sorry, you, you're, I have no sympathy for anyone that gets this movie spoiled for him anymore. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and cover this now because once you've seen this movie and you know, the twist, which is that Bruce Willis dies here and he's a ghost <laughs> the rest of the movie. That is awesome and works really well the first time you see it. But when Julio and myself, even twenty years later, having not seen this in that long, you still know that. And then going back and rewatching it, it really changes the movie and not for the better. Would you agree?
1: Yes, I'm glad that you are bringing this up because I was wondering as I was taking notes. I'm like, all right, are we doing the turnus corner as if we were watching it for the first time and we don't know, <laughs> or are we, or are we gonna, you know, take it seriously? And we're like, honestly, yeah. Uh, you're right. I mean, once you know that Bruce Willis is dead, it changes the movie. It's a completely different movie. And it's not a better movie. In many ways, it's a worse movie because it, it stops making sense. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm sure you had the exact same, uh, or at least you must have had a similar experience to mine, which is that suddenly, because you know he's dead, all the tricks that Shyamalan is employing to distract you for, to to make you believe that he's alive are more noticeable now because you know he's dead and so now it's so obvious that oh wow nobody talks to him <laughs> nobody reacts to him and the interactions he has with his wife which on first watch kind of like okay you can buy them as being a strained couple you know a couple that's mm-hmm. going through a rough patch it doesn't hold up at all when you watch it you know knowing that he's dead you're like oh, of course he's dead like that the question is not why didn't we pick it up on the first watch, but more like how is he not aware of it? How can he not realize that nobody's talking to him? It's not just his wife, but nobody, you know, it's it. the world is not behaving as if he was alive. And, but conveniently Bruce Willis never notices. And Shyamalan always cuts away before anything is revealed, anything that would have made it clear to the viewer and to him and to Bruce Willis. So, mm-hmm. yes. TLDR on rewatch. Once you know the, the the twist, this movie is just it becomes almost a comedy. It, yes, it, it doesn't work.
0: So we've got that out of the way.
1: Let's go to real talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the next day, a few days later, I don't know the time. The, is nec- the next fall, it, it actually the next has. Fall. Yeah,
1: it's it, okay. it gets the five years later title. Uh, okay, except it's
0: the next fall. I was stuff in my face with torches while watching this so i must have been looking down during that we get our uh, main two characters they finally meet as somewhere in west philadelphia born and raised uh at the sanctuary is where Haley joel osmond spent most of his days cole sear is the little boy who um malcolm has been assigned to work with or so we think you know the veil is off, but we're we're gonna try to recount this as best we can.
1: <laughs> okay, so well, we know we know he's dead, and we're talking about it like like we know because we know. So the way that Shyamalan conveys this or tries to fool us into thinking that that Malcolm had somehow has a patient is that Bruce Willis has this notebook, and it has a lot of information about Cole, right? It says Cole' age, and his symptoms, and, like a lot of stuff. So. How did this happen? Who gave him that notebook? How did he make those those notes? Because this is the first time that he is interacting with with Cole, with Hallie Joel Osman, right? Like this is the first time that yeah. he talked ever. So where did he get this information about the kid? Because it's not like he's talked to Tony Collette or anybody, right? So did he just materialize with this notebook? Like, in, in front of Haley Joel Osman's house? Like, is that... Like, that's one of the biggest questions when you rewatch this movie. It's like, what is happening with Bruce Willis in between the scenes? Like, when we don't see him. Like, you know, the...
0: the what does he do?
1: Exactly. Like, does he just vanish and then reappear, like, in the next scene? So, th- there's no travel involved. Because you imagine, the moment that he starts actually traveling from one place to the other, that's when he's gonna realize that, man, I'm a ghost. But that doesn't happen. And... Yeah, where did this notebook come from? Where did this knowledge of the kid come from? That So was he summoned by Haley Joel Osment's subconscious? And that's, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. And, and of course, the movie never answers those questions.
0: So he meets Cole, his new student or the child that he's going to be trying to help take care of. Uh, he meets him at a church, as I mentioned, and explains the whole idea of sanctuary uh, and where people would go to be safe. Um, one thing I did take note of here is that Haley Joel Osment laid the foundation for uh, the hipster glasses with no lenses in them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which he only wears during this scene. Apparently, they were his dad's, and you know he just he misses his father. Do we ever, uh, like definitively find out what happened to his dad? Uh, no, and
1: that's weird because I had this memory that i thought that we did that that was one of the big moments in the movie that he was going to reveal that something horrible had happened to his father but no i mean apparently he just left one day and uh because i thought that's crazy how you know over the years you you just add to the mythology without even thinking about it because in my mind i was like oh yeah he the first he started manifesting his powers as a response of trauma because something horrible happened to his father but no apparently his dad just left and he just has powers because he has powers. Why not? I mean the movie he has also to happen.
0: Potentially a kleptomaniac, because he stole one of the Jesus statues on his way out of the <laughs> to the church, which was never circled back to again. Uh my note here. Holy shit, Tony Collette. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I had to take a drink to cool myself down here before we get into it. Toni Tony Collette the 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 beacon of hope in this movie, both from just a mama Mia standpoint, but also uh, an acting perspective, introduced into the fray. She is the mother. She plays Lynn Sear, uh, Haley Joel Osment's mom. And the first thing we see her is she's whipped up some bread. It's the scene where she's whipped up the breakfast, and then she leaves the room for a second and comes back, and all the, like, the counter drawers and shelves are open. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Haley Joel Osment says, I wanted Pop-Tarts. I think, they say Pop Tarts or cereal or something? And, uh,
0: yeah, she made him Cocoa Puffs and he said he wants Pop Tarts.
1: Classic Shyamalan humor.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like this little kid just run around really quick and open all these just to fuck with his mom. What kind of sociopath are we dealing with here? <laughs>
1: um, is she doing an accent, Alex? Oh, okay. So I know she is because she's Australian. So she's obviously not using her Australian accent, but is she doing a specific uh, American accent that you could pick up on?
0: The Philadelphia accent is such a difficult one to try to quantify and also even more difficult to like nail down and mimic. Um, Don't and, make and, you excuses know,
1: like, for her. She's a grown woman. She knew what I'm she was getting excuses into.
0: For her. I was going to say she sounds like Jersey housewife in this is what she sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like it's a classic thing of, you know, Tina Fey is the only person that I can think of that can do like a really good Pennsylvania accent. And, and it's just like one of those things I can't even explain it. I, I, there are other people that can, but she always comes to mind. Um, there's just certain words with different enunciations. And Philadelphia is a, a different beast all its own. So it's a lose lose proposition. And unfortunately, Tony Collette lost. She's as hot as she is, but she just sounds like Jersey trash this whole movie. And it's not not necessarily endearing to her character.
1: She's a long way from Little Miss Sunshine.
0: Yes, very long way. Um, My next note here is just in all caps. It it says, it's so obvious. And again, when you go back and rewatch this, like the scene, I think one of the next scenes is uh, her and Bruce Willis sitting in the living room of their apartment or their home or whatever waiting for Haley Jo Osmond to come back and they're just sitting in silence. And I remember the first time I saw this, I thought like, you know, they just didn't have anything to talk about or whatever. And then I was just like, oh God, she's, which is even more concerning that she's just sitting in stone silence waiting for her son to come home. She doesn't even have like <laughs> uh, Santana featuring Rob Thomas playing smooth <laughs> on the radio in her home. It's quickly becomes very apparent what's going on. And is this the scene where that leads into like the game that Bruce Willis and Hilly Johnson yep. play?
1: Yeah. And right before the game, this is Toni Collette kind of still showing that this was, these were her early years in Hollywood before she had become the incredibly skilled actress that she is now. But she actually betrays the the conceit of the movie here. And I was looking for it. So that's why I noticed, I understand that anybody watching it the first time wouldn't in if you were taking a bite out of your torchies at this second, you might have missed it. But she actually looks at Bruce Willis before she leaves the room.
0: Oh, she does?
1: Yeah, because she, uh, she talks to Hallie Joel Osment. They have like a bit of an interaction. Then she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go cook dinner. And then she says, you have an hour. And that's, you know, that's her her cue to leave. And when she says you have an hour, you think that she's talking to both of them, right? When you think that he's alive, before you know the twist, you're like, oh, she's telling Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment that they have an hour to talk, to have a session. Uh, But when you know that he's dead, then you're like, okay, she's just telling him that he has an hour, he's telling Haley Joel Osment that he has an hour to play or whatever. But then as she's walking out, right before she exits frame, she glances at Bruce Willis. Wow! For no reason, because nobody's supposed to be sitting there. Like, Hal Jordan is on the other side of the of her. Like, he's he's still by the door, and I was like, man, that that's crazy. They left it there. They could have cut <laughs> before she turns, but Shyamalan left it there. At I understand that he left it there because on first watch, it convinces you. It adds to the whole thing of like, oh, there's nothing weird here. She she acknowledged Bruce Willis there, like you know, gave him a glance. But when you know that he's dead, you're like, what the fuck is she doing? What's she looking at? I mean, I guess, you know, every now and then you randomly turn around and look at emptiness, (laughs) the empty chair in your living room. But uh, in the context of this movie, it just looks really weird. And I'm glad that you own it because that means that after we're done recording, you can, like, check that that scene again.
0: It's true. Yeah, I did not catch that. So they do, like, a game where I don't know what the intention is. It sounds creepy. Bruce Willis is like, if I get a question (laughs) about you right, you have to take a step towards me. And... (laughs) And if I don't, you get to run away from me, kid. <laughs> uh, but it's just a back and forth. He's trying to learn more about the kid. Bruce knows that there's something you know, going on with this kid, and he wants to help him. And it's clear that the, uh, what was the Johnny Wahlberg's name, Vincent, that's still weighing on him with his approach to you can see in his face. He sees all these similarities between them and um, wants to make sure he does right here by Cole.
1: At what point in the movie, Alex, did you start to doubt Bruce Willis' abilities as a psychologist, as a child psychologist? Because the movie sells him to you like pretty strong in the beginning, right? He got an award from the mayor and you think that he's hot shit. And then as the movie progresses and he's getting nowhere. With Haley Joel Osment, you're like, why did he get an award? What it, this is the best he can do? You know, he he does magic tricks and he he does this weird game with the chairs. It's, I mean, we've seen much better depictions of uh, psychologists on screen, mm-hmm. and Bruce Willis is not one of them.
0: Yeah, I to your point, I wasn't overly blown away by uh, his performance here.
1: He's he's no Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting.
0: Absolutely not, and. Haley Joel Osmond's not making it easy for him either, but there's other things weighing on Malcolm's mind. And one of them is his strained marriage, where I guess he's late to the dinner that he has with his wife. And again, if this is your first time watching, I could see how you can maybe get swept up in the melodrama of this. But knowing what we know now, it's just like so obvious. It's like he goes and sees her and he just thinks she's mad at him because she's just looking down and not talking to him. Uh, so he says his whole piece about, you know, I'm sorry. And, She like sighs and says "Happy anniversary" and then gets up and leaves.
1: (laughs) So when you know the twist, what did she do? Did she really say "Happy anniversary" out loud? What the hell? She was sitting by herself at the table.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess she was just speaking into the ether (laughs) and says "Happy anniversary" and he just is like, "Oh, I didn't mean to let you down, baby. I was." (laughs)
1: He reaches for the check and she grabs it first.
0: (laughs) Oh, dude, it's so bad.
1: What would have happened if he had reached earlier? You know what I mean? Like, was he, would his hand go through the check?
0: Would he. And that's when he's like, wait, am I dead? (laughs) An M. Night Shyamalan film. (laughs) So, back at the Seer residence, we see, we get just kind of this quick shot of Tony Collette cleaning up around the house and, um, she starts looking at all these pictures of Cole from his life up until this point, and all of them had this like little flicker lens flare. and Somewhere a young McG watched this and said, <laughs> Hold up a minute. That looks fancy. Uh, and it's all, you know, atmosphere and mood building. We still don't know if you've seen the movie, you do, but, we, you know, going into this with virgin eyes, none of us know what this means. And um, we talked about in Science, Julio, the impressive. Uh, approach and the successful approach that m night brings to building atmosphere in that movie you know and that's a movie about aliens and without it feeling overly hokey and this feels like it's just something we're going to say over and over again once the the you know the toothpaste is out of the tube you just stare at it like oh Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, just, you know, you fold your arms and then you start talking in a New Jersey accent like, fuck your mother. I know what you're doing here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like this sequence, it's just like, let's just follow Tony Collette around the rest of the day. Let's just watch her and see what she does.
1: Oh, and she finds his creepy notes. Uh- oh,
0: yeah. With all like the the shit that he's been told by ghosts and demons and shit. Right. Uh,
1: yeah, my, my note says this movie cheats and it cheats hard because, <laughs> well, it so it intercuts with Bruce Willis kind of like telling him, Hey, he's having a session with, with Cole, and he's saying, Hey, uh, do you know what? Uh, well, he starts telling him about, you know, what you do when you kind of start writing and lose yourself and just allow your brain, I guess, to control what you're writing to take over, and then mm-hmm. you look at it and you're like, Man, I wrote. These things that I didn't, I didn't even know were inside me. And he Shyamalan intercuts this with uh, Tony Collette finding these notes and freaking out. And so the implication would be that, oh, before you know what's really going on with Cole, the implication is that there's something really messed up inside of him. You know, he was doing that mm-hmm. thing that Bruce Willis told him about. And and he wrote all this really disturbing shit on, on this piece of paper. That only works once when you watch the movie again and you know that... Uh, what's happening is that this kid is listening to ghosts talking to him. Then the scene loses all its power because you you know that he's not messed up inside. You know, that it's just, he's just transcribing. <laughs> he's a secretary. He's no longer a, a deeply disturbed kid.
0: Uh, and it's during this sequence that he tells Bruce that he has a secret, you know, and Bruce tells him, you know, I want to do anything I can to help you. He's like, I, I need you to tell me, you know, what it is you want from me. If you could have one thing, anything in the world, what would it be? And he says, uh, can it be something I don't want? And he's like, sure. He's like, well, I don't want to be scared anymore. Got it. Uh, Bruce Willis goes back home and his wife's not responding to him. And some guy comes over and just hitting on her. And I thought, man, like he is really bad at picking up at what's going on. Like even, <laughs> I mean, if she hasn't spoken to him in days and then the other guy comes over and is like hitting on her in his home while she knows he's home, <laughs> He's doing a really poor job of picking up on this.
1: Oh man, I wish I I could remember how I felt the first time I watched this movie. <laughs> it's you know, to, to use a word you like, Alex. He he's a total cuck in this movie. <laughs> when you watch it without no know, not knowing that he's dead, and you think that that's really him, just his wife is basically cheating on him in front of his face. He's like looking from the basement. He has this little window and he watches the guy
0: that's, like, covered in cobwebs and shit. It's, like, no one's been down there at all recently.
1: he, he even tries to sound all uh, like a badass because, you know, the wife turns the guy down uh, yeah. in the end. And so the guy's walking out, and he has, like, some hesitation where he, like, looks back. He's like, maybe I should try again. And Bruce Willis is watching from the basement and goes, like, yeah, you keep walking. He
0: calls him dick cheese.
1: <laughs> dick cheese, yeah. It looks it looks pretty bad when uh, it looks bad when you don't know that he's dead because you're like, man, he really, you know, his life went, went downhill fast. And when you know that he's dead, you're like, why wouldn't he go upstairs and confront his wife? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, things are bad. But but when you get to the point where some dude is knocking on your door to ask your wife out that's when you, sh- you you figure that at that point you have to have a conversation. <laughs> and uh, You would think. Yeah, he doesn't. Hey, who is that guy? <laughs> yeah. At- at the- okay, so you don't want to fight. The-, the least you can do is go up there and be like, hey, who was that? <laughs> you sure you don't want to go out with him? Go to the market? <laughs> I don't mind.
0: <laughs> Back at school, Cole continues to be somewhat of an outcast and is in class i guess history class or something and the teacher starts talking about the school they were in used to be um courthouse where things happen and haley joel contests it was a place they used to hang people lawyers hung in there and then the teacher starts getting kind of aggressive towards him and he kind of looks at him kind of condescendingly and judgmentally and you know haley joel says please stop doing that and then he calls the teacher stuttering stanley which apparently this is a a nickname that was given to him in high school when he was younger, and obviously not one he likes because he starts freaking out about it, slams his hand down on the desk, calls uh, Haley Joel Osment a freak. It's it's bad business.
1: This teacher, surprisingly, keeps his job because he shows up at the end of the movie. <laughs> He's still directing the school play.
0: And it's all cool with him and Haley Joel again. So, <laughs> But yeah, he uh, this causes a ruckus, obviously. Haley Joel gets sent to the principal's office or wherever the hell he is. Bruce Willis comes in and uh, debuts a magic trick for him uh, with a, a penny. It's again what you talked about, Shyamalan humor. It's just we didn't know at this point in time that this this wasn't something to build like atmosphere. This is just something that <laughs> hey, wouldn't it be funny if I did this?
1: Yeah, we we thought that uh, this was just him writing Bruce Willis as a dork, and yeah. then a- as we watch more Shyamalan movies, we realize oh no, Shyamalan is a dork, and this, he just finds this funny.
0: Julio, would you believe that uh, Michael Sarah auditioned for the role of Cole? And uh, this was the scene he did in his audition. He later admitted he did it too cheerfully because he hadn't read the entire script, so he didn't know that the character was supposed to be like introverted. Uh, so somewhere there exists the the tape of Michael Cera as a a young one, like ha ha ha. Where where'd the penny go? Was
1: he reading with uh, Bruce Willis?
0: Uh, that it doesn't say that here. God, <laughs> could only hope <laughs> Bruce just freaking out. Can we get a professional on set? <laughs> the magic trick, Julio. You like it? No.
1: Uh, I mean, my reaction was Haley uh, Joel Osman's reaction, or like, it's in your fucking hand. You're not even trying. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that that's the point, that, that Bruce Willis is not supposed to be blowing his mind, but it kind of like takes away some of the, the punch of it when later on Haley Joel Osman is trying to do the same thing. You're like, okay, yeah. so was he not impressed? Was he impressed? What the hell?
0: Yeah. Are these guys like bonding and yeah. then, yeah, the, the scene later where he does it is played for even more laughs. It's just kind of like, uh, okay, whatever.
1: I think that we... If, if Shyamalan really wanted to commit to the to the bit, he should have had Tony Collette doing it at the end of the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, after Haley Joel gives it a shake at a, one of his chum's birthday parties, you know, it, it goes over poorly. He's told the trick is stupid, and the kid's like, I want my penny back. Uh, They're at this big house with, like, this fucking spiral staircase that leads to... Uh, just like a dungeon room or like a closet (laughs) that's upstairs. Uh, Haley Joel, hears some, you know, a clatter come from there. So he goes up there to check it out. And this shit that did not get his come up. And nearly enough in the movie. This, (laughs) the bully from the school, Tommy Tomasino, just a real dickhead, man. I was waiting for him to get like eaten by a ghost or something um,
1: to get pushed out the stairs.
0: There you go. So obviously there is something bad going on in that closet. And these bullies come and throw Hilly Joel in there, and he is attacked while he's in there. He gets taken to the hospital. Did you catch who the doctor was here, Julio?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. So over the past few episodes, whenever we were talking about the Shyamalan cameos, I would always say, like, I don't remember if he cameos in the second sense. I I imagine he does, but it's probably something small. And I guess compared to something like Signs. Yes, this is a smaller. It's a smaller role, but uh, I guess at the time, again going back to back in '99, we didn't think anything of it. I imagine most of us watching no. The Sixth Sense for the first time, we didn't even know that was him. Uh, mm-hmm. But now, with all the Shyamalan history behind us, it's just like, why? What are you doing? Why? It's he's not an actor. I mean, we've seen him do worse, <laughs> but he could have thrown somebody else a bone at this part give give somebody an opportunity to make an impression on this one scene did you laugh when you saw him did you remember that he was a doctor
0: uh no i just heard his voice was like well that's his voice and then they showed him i was like oh god here we go (laughs)
1: uh
0: he doesn't have much of you know anything to do but he tells tony collette you know hey there's some cuts and bruises on your child that concern me and 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 she's
1: like sports that's from sports was like do not you know your kid that kid doesn't play sports
0: well, and then she also, like, just, you think I hurt my child? You think I hurt my kid? And gets, like, <laughs> real defensive about it. I was kind of hoping for a throwdown between her and M. Night. Like, something just wild that I completely forgot from uh, from the movie. <laughs> Not to be, though, as uh, it just kind of dissipates. But it does lead into Bruce Willis going to visit him in his hospital room. Where, obviously, they can't determine what happened to him because he was attacked by a fucking ghost. And... Bruce Willis goes up there and it's the scene. You know, we're probably about <laughs> 60 to 70% through this movie. I always in my mind thought it came a little bit later, but then I remembered there's a lot of shit that comes in the fallout of that. So um, Julio, it's the big one.
1: <laughs> it, it is. It's uh, the Oscar clip. It, it's someone's Oscar clip. I think it was Haley Joel Osmond, but it might have been the, the best movie clip at the Oscars. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, either way, it's just a- uh, Screenplay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that too. Maybe. <laughs> they played it like three times during the Oscars.
0: They they played it a lot on TV for a that while too. after this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, it was uh not to get too much to real talk, but this fucking scene was in the trailer. Like the, I see that people yeah. was in the trailer, which okay, thank you. You just ruined half the movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, by <laughs> what made me laugh really hard here, and it's just again, because it's just so much harder to take the movie seriously once you know the twist. So you know, there's this massive buildup to Cole finally whispering his secret, and he goes, like, I see that people, and then Bruce Willis replies, in your dreams? <laughs> and it reminded me of Knocked Up when uh, Katherine Heigl goes, I'm pregnant, and Seth Ryan goes, with emotion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, here's a, the, kind of the more interesting side of the story that is not explored. And that is that Haley Joel Osment has known that Bruce Willis is a ghost the entire time, right? I mean, that's the first time that he sees him. He runs away from him. And uh, everything he says kind of like, it kind of points to, yeah, he knows. But he is being very deliberate in the way that he talks to Bruce Willis so as to not address the fact that Bruce Willis is a ghost. It's like... Haley Joel Osment knows, this fucking kid knows that Bruce Willis is under the delusion of still being alive. And by now, Bruce Willis has told him about his wife, (laughs) has told him about the, the patient, about Donnie Wahlberg. You know, he's opened up his heart. And Haley Joel Osment is kind of manipulating him in a way, which is crazy because he's a little kid. So going back to like the things that the twist won't allow you to do because you know you have to preserve the the mystery of the twist the secret of the mm-hmm. twist it's like isn't it a much more interesting movie if you have it all out in the open and it's a movie about this young kid that manipulates a ghost into doing his bidding and helping him <laughs> and then the the big climax is Bruce Willis still realizing that he's dead but now instead of being this sort of happy ending it's him feeling betrayed and just looking at, at Haley Joel Osment going like, you knew all along and you didn't tell me. You let me think that my wife was cheating on me.
0: You led me astray. Yep. Oh, yeah. It definitely. After this scene in particular, it definitely becomes uh, cold as shrinking Malcolm. Because like there's one scene <laughs> where it cuts back and he's like, it's almost like he's just like, and maybe that's why I hated my father. Like You just expect <laughs> like Bruce Willis to say something like that to Haley Joel Osment. But he tells him, yo, I see dead people and it freaks me out. They don't know they're dead. They just bother me, and I don't know why. It's so good though, because fucking Bruce Willis is just like you do. He's like (laughs) in coffins, like no walking around, and his face is just like I need to get the fuck out of here. This kid's insane,
1: (laughs) pregnant with emotion.
0: (laughs) God, what an all-time line that was. One of the greatest things Judd Apatow ever wrote. Uh back at home we this is my note Tony Tony goes full jersey housewife where she calls the mother of the bullies is like your son needs to keep his goddamn hands off my boy. <laughs> uh this is like the dominoes are starting to fall though. We see Cole's room and he's built like a sanctuary for himself for protection. He's got all those like Jesus trinkets and I don't know precious memories etc in there. And uh he has to get up to use the restroom. We learn now there's been a theme throughout the movie of like it just, there's like cold fronts that come in. It just gets frigid out of nowhere for no reason. And we see this happen here. Like Haley Joel can see his breath or some shit. No, we see the the thermostat. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It starts dropping. Uh, we get one ghost that's, you know, yelling at Haley Joel about something. And uh, later we get uh, a boy that looks like he's from the seventies who shot his head, like shot himself in the head on accident or that's that is definitely the one thing I remember that shot of the boy turning around and having like the back of his head gone. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, come with me. I know where my dad keeps his gun. So we're just getting more and more of it. None of uh, them
1: are really threatening though. You know what I mean? Like, uh I understand that they're scary because they look scary, but the way that Hilly Joel Osmond has been acting in the first half of the movie, because that's that's the big thing, right? Before he tells Bruce Willis that he sees that people, before he Tells us, the audience, we don't know. We've never seen what mm-hmm. he's seen. We just are like, that's weird. He freaks out and he has these weird marks. But then once the secret is revealed and we actually are able to see what he sees, there's never anything that's threatening. And there's certainly nothing that hurts him. Like the so where are all the bruises coming from? You know what I mean? Like nobody attacks him. And like there's the kid with the that blew up his head, there's the the mom that's like opening the cabinets looking for food. And then there's Misha Barton who just throws up.
0: Maybe that was like the thing that would have. There was these scene shot where Haley Joel Osment just got like the the ever living shit beat out of him by these ghosts. <laughs> and the MPAA is like, "All right, this is the one that's going to get you an R rating because this movie's fairly violent for a PG-13 movie." But yeah, that that's release the Shyamalan cut. <laughs> yes, please release the
1: release the Haley Joel Osment cut where he throws down with Misha Barton. <laughs>
0: Uh, we get an intense standoff between uh, Cole and his mother as she's asking about a brooch, I believe, that was taken. A bumblebee brooch. And she's like, I found it in your room. It's just this thing of like, you know, you know, when you know a kid's lying to you type thing. And she's just like, just tell me you took it. I won't be mad. And he's like, I didn't take it. Some things just move and you don't know why. <laughs> <And so laughs> but he that's knows that. why. And- <laughs> And then she's like, you've had enough roast beef. Go to bed. And I was looking at his plate. I was like, man, that shit looks good. And like Tony Collette, the way she looks in this movie and like her character, just like how hardened she is, like clearly Italian. Like I guarantee you she can make some incredible roast beef. So I was just like, Cole, just tell her you took the fucking thing. Go to town on that roast beef, man. Uh, what do I know here? Cole is now shrinking. Uh, Malcolm we talked about that. There's a lot more back and forth between them this is where bruce says
1: i can't see you anymore yes
0: Cole. yes yes i was trying to remember exactly what he tells him but yeah he's like you are out of your mind and <laughs> i don't feel safe being around you so i can't see you anymore but when we get like the emotional resonance of haley joel osman sliding the penny that he gave him across the table and it's like Everything that we've come to know about M. Night Shyamalan, like seeing that, I just like cringed. I was like, oh, <laughs> this, is, he thinks this is good. This
1: comes on the heels of maybe the worst scene in the movie, or at least one of the most obviously terrible scenes, which is where uh, Bruce Willis's wife works. She, she works at a jewelry store. Is that right? And there's this long shot. This, this was guest directed by Judd Apatow, where it's just like, this shot of uh, Bruce Willis's wife and this couple that is arguing about whether they want to buy this uh, diamond ring or not, this engagement ring. Mm-hmm. And it goes on forever. And it's trying to be funny because the guy doesn't want to spend oh, that much yeah. money. And she's yeah. like, and then she's doubting his commitment and, you know, Bruce Willis's wife is to the side kind of like trying to convince him to buy it. And it goes on and on and on and it has absolutely no bearing on anything else that's happening in this movie. And then when that's done, bruce willis's wife goes and starts kind of like cuddling with the the guy that she works with the guy that's been trying to ask her out and they're about to kiss and then the window breaks and then you see that bruce willis is like walking away from the store you know like kind of making you think that he saw them about to kiss and instead of going in and confronting his wife he just broke the window and walked away
0: yeah you showed them bruce After he gets his penny back, he has to go back home and he's listening to these audio recordings of, you know, sessions he had with Vincent and Donnie Wahlberg. And this is where we find out that Donnie Wahlberg saw dead people, too. He just I have in all caps. How did he miss that? Because uh, he's just <laughs> listening to this audio and all he has to do is turn it up a few octaves and then he hears some like man yelling in Spanish in the background. <laughs> and and then he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> I guess this is where he realizes it's the real thing. I don't I don't know how he missed that. Maybe yep. he just never went back and listened to the tapes again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe what the movie's maybe even accidentally telling us is that he was never that good of a doctor to begin with. You know, like I told you, it looked like he would do it. He wasn't doing he's that great fraud. with Haley Chalosman. Yeah, yeah. I think that he's just popular and that doesn't equal good all the time. He Was just friends with the mayor. But it's crazy because the movie now goes, Bruce Willis's character goes from being skeptical and not really knowing what was going on to somehow becoming a, kind of like a paranormal expert because he comes back to Hilly Joel Osmond and now he has a plan. And he's like, you know what? I figured it out. These people coming to you, they're coming to you because they want something from you. All you have to do to make them go away is do whatever they want you to do. And it's like, how does he know that? Has he talked to them? Has he has he <laughs> looked back through all his years of non-experience doing this?
0: Um, This segues into... Misha Barton, as she appears in Haley Joel's tent later that night, and she's obviously very sick, and she throws up. uh, Haley Joel's instinct, you know, Cole just guns it, runs away, and he comes back, and she says, "I'm feeling better now." And he tries to talk to her to figure out what it is that uh, she wants or what what he can do for her. And we see them on a bus the next day going to what turns out to be a funeral for said puke girl, Misha Barton here, and Julio. He like comes in as a man on a mission. And go, does he go back to her bedroom or something? He finds like this chamber of secrets, so to speak. He finds this you know hollowed out book that has a VHS in it, and takes it to her dad.
1: So it's been a while since I've been to Awake, but you you can't just walk in, right? Like <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and let alone just like a little kid by himself wander past to go to the bedroom of the deceased child.
1: Right. At some point, somebody would have noticed. Like, who the fuck is that kid?
0: But he goes back there and he finds this tape and gives it to the dad and the dad throws it on and I forgot how morbid this was. This is <laughs> fucked up. Well, one, it's obvious that the mother's guilty because she's wearing a red pantsuit at a funeral. <laughs> I mean, that's sign number one. And then, yeah, we see on the videotape that this little girl would, you know, tape herself doing puppet shows and she left her camera on and it caught her mom coming in to give her her soup or cream of wheat or whatever. And the mom like was putting. Drano or some shit in her food. I guess keeping the girl sick and eventually it killed her. And but this why is how the dad finds out? I, I don't know. Exactly. Like Haley Jolinton said he's there to figure out why. He's just to figure out the end result.
1: <laughs> well, this is not going to hold up in court, Alex. <laughs> we need more. We need yes. a motive.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The the defense attorney's like, so this little boy just came into your house and all of a sudden was able to show you this. <laughs>
1: um. It's just really weird. That the it's shitty storytelling. I, at this point, he doesn't care, Shambalanda that is, because so you're grieving the loss of your daughter. Some random little kid shows up with a with a tape, and you just play it there in front of everybody. You don't know what the hell is that. You know what I mean? Like even if it's just something innocent, and it's just like a, some sort of like personal tearful goodbye. That doesn't seem like the kind of thing not that you for just, the world to see exactly. That's like you wait till everybody's gone, and it's just for you and the murderous mother to watch in the privacy of your bedroom or whatever. So it's just, but you know, he's he has to wrap it up, and so he just doesn't care.
0: So he he figured it out, he found out who done it, vindicates Misha Barton. She did not die for nothing because now you know her mom or stepmom or whoever that was will face the wrath of the American legal system. Uh, Haley Joel Osment gets to be the boy that pulls the sword out of the stone, the sword in the stone. Uh, (laughs) The immediate thought is the school has a lot of plays because it seems like over the course of a few weeks they've had two plays. (laughs) I can't take credit for that. My sister watched this with me and she said that and I was like, I'm going to write that down because it was just, we were watching, it's like, God, the school does a lot of plays.
1: Do you think that he got that role, like the main role, arguably, of the of the play because he bullied the, the stuttering teacher earlier in the movie. Cause here, I would hope so. He, Cause he tells him, he's like, thank you for giving me this part, doctor or Mr. Cunningham or whatever.
0: And then the, this is the only uh, comeuppance that Tommy Tomaselli gets Tommy Tomasino. He just, he's like the town idiot. And he has one line and he's like, obviously really bummed to be there.
1: And then Bruce Willis gives him, gives him his review. He's like, Hey, Tommy Tomaselli, He sucked
0: yeah that was great and then it's like the goodbye scene which i had never noticed until this the writers of the office aped 15 years later when on michael's last episode because they <laughs> they leave it as like we're not going to say goodbye we're just going to you know act like we're going to see each other tomorrow but Haley joel cole is born anew he's a happy happy kid and he's figured out that you know this thing that he's been given he can do good things with and so that's it it seems as though you know they both healed each other they helped each other he tells bruce willis hey i thought of a way you could talk to your wife talk to her when she's asleep that way you can really connect with her
1: this motherfucker knowing that bruce willis
0: is dead (laughs) sending him to the gallows (laughs) (laughs) the best would be if they like showed him and he has back to him and he's like you know cracking up and trying not to like snicker while he's telling him (laughs) It's so, like, yeah, yeah, Mister Uh or Crow, Mister Crow, just you know, tell her uh, you love her when she's asleep. And to wrap up things with Cole, we get Tony Collette's Oscar scene. I think her literal Oscar scene, and where he tells his mom, "Hey, I see dead people." She rightfully is like, "All right, we'll address this right away. Let's start by upping your medication." <laughs> But this leads to Cole explaining, you know, grandma comes to visit me sometimes, and he tells Tony Collette the story about a dance recital that only she would know. And, you know, she said I, she wanted me to give you uh, the answer to your question, and it's every day. And we learn that, you know, she asks, do I make you proud? And, you know, this is where we learn of why the bumblebee brooch has, you know, moved all its way around the house and easily the most powerful scene, which is saying something considering the next scene is like the the coup de grace.
1: I mean, it is emotional, but it doesn't make sense because like you said, I don't care how much you love your kid. I don't care how like, Crazy life might have been the last few months or whatever. I don't
0: care that the Y two K you know situation <laughs> is slowly approaching.
1: Yeah, if your kid tells you that he can see that people, the dead people, talk to him and that he's talking to his dead grandma and all stuff, okay, you can pretend that you believe him, but really, what you need to do is what you should have done at the beginning of the movie, or even before the movie started, which is get a, a doctor. Like, the entire movie, we're giving her a pass because we think that she's hired Bruce Willis. And you're like, okay, well, she did something, right? She she has a professional working on the case. But now, once you know that Bruce Willis is is dead, he's not really there, that means that she hasn't been doing anything to help Cole, the entire movie. She's just kind of been writing it, waiting for things to get better. <laughs> that is terrible parenting.
0: Uh Go back to Malcolm Crowe's house. He goes in to say goodnight to Anna and talk to her when she's asleep. He was dead the whole time, Julio. Wouldn't you know it? (laughs) He was only seeing what he wanted to see and didn't know he was dead. And when he got shot, I was trying to put that together. That gun didn't look like much of a hand cannon or anything, but I don't know. It kills him right
1: away. (laughs) Yes, like maybe 30 seconds before just passing. Yeah, uh, I don't
0: know if it like perforated his liver or something. It went through his left side, so it's it's possible, but yeah, it was it's pretty anticlimactic. He's just like, I'm okay <laughs> and I'm dead.
1: Um did you feel a little insulted by the way that Shyamalan just kind of like kept spoon feeding us the just the explanation of the twist? So it's like I think we all got it, you know, like pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It the, probably, there's probably about 45 seconds to, to a minute of shots that just aren't necessary yeah like, yeah no yeah we get it like that slow reveal of like fucking <laughs> bruce willis try, trying to like look at his back he's like
1: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> like a dog chasing his tail
0: trying exactly.
1: to exactly and then he keeps cutting back to to just previous shots of the movie, just replaying what Cole said at some point. I was like, the movie's not that long. We remember. He said that, that they got cold. So all he has to do is show us that Bruce Willis' wife, her breath, you know, is, is you can see it. And then... Yeah, uh,
0: showing like a flashback. It's like, yeah, that was 15 minutes ago <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Flashback to every time that Bruce Willis tried to open the door. It just... Come on, man. It's not... You, you don't need to recap a whole season of TV. This was... a an hour, 50 minute movie.
0: But he realizes, you know, that he is dead and that he also, that means there's something that he has left to do. And it's for him to tell his wife, you know, I'm sorry that I might've mistreated you or ever made you feel like you were second in my life, but you know, I love you. And I think he says, good night is the last thing he says. And then he floats away where he goes. Unbreakable. (laughs) Unbreakable. (laughs) Anyway, Julio, we have done it. We have given The Sixth Sense the contrarian's treatment, and I am very interested to see how our respective viewings and opinions of it are going to hold up. Are you ready to move this conversation along to Real Talk? Let's go to Real Talk. God, I am so tired, Cole. I'm tired in my body. I'm tired in my mind. I'm tired in my heart. I need some help. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but our little family isn't doing so good. I mean, I've been praying, but I must not be praying right. Looks like we're just gonna have to answer each other's prayers. If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Now tell me, baby, I, I, I won't get mad, honey. Did you take the bumblebee pendant? No. You've had enough roast beef. You need to leave the table. Go! What's up, Contrarians listeners? I had the pleasure of watching M. Night Shyamalan's Old recently, and in all honesty, I loved it. Well, the beginning and the middle I loved, but y'all know how M. Night typically tends to lose us towards his endings. It had the same mood as most modern horror films especially to the liking of Ari Aster with intense anxiety-inducing violent scenes that will just keep you on the edge of your seat. I definitely would recommend checking it out for yourself.
1: And we are back but before we go into real talk let's take care of PP our patron pitch this is where we let patrons know what they can expect on our patron feed. And this is also where we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. This time around, Alex, I mentioned last time that uh, we have the quick video reviews up and running now. If you are a patron right now, you can check out the most recent ones, which are for uh, Squid and the Whale from uh, contrarian's favorite, Noah Baumbach. And uh, Striptease, starring <sighs> yeah. Demi Moore.
0: What do you think of that? I mean, obviously... Uh they can head on over to Patreon to get your full thoughts, but just kind of, you know, the one sentence review. Wh- where'd you where'd you fit on the side?
1: The one sentence review for striptease is that it's it's better than showgirls. There you go. So that's, you know, that should give you enough, especially if you if you listen to our Showgirls episode, that should tell you something. So there's that. And you know, this month we have our bonus episode is on natural selection, the long tease discussion uh between Alex and I about one of his favorite movies, and then if you're a certain kind of patron, you get to tell us what movies to watch. In this case, our next recording is, is a patron uh, demand, and that is uh, Hancock. More to come on that front.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about revoking patron <laughs> privileges after getting this request. <laughs>
1: Additionally, you get access to all our clips that did not make it into the official episodes, along with our uh, pre-recording notes, and also our very special spin-off, Contrarians After Hours. This is the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've read, other things that we've watched, that we played. Sometimes they have something to do with... Uh, our main topic on the show, and sometimes they don't. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
0: Uh, I mentioned on... Uh, Off-air, I don't know if on. I've started binging the NBC Original Superstore. Definitely, with the rate I'm going, I'm just going to wait until I'm done with it to comment on that. So, are you familiar with I Think You Should Leave, the show on Netflix? Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, was, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I am pretty sure that was a recommendation from one during straight. It definitely was. And I forgot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And I'd forgotten that he had recommended it. I remember him talking about it, but I had forgotten it was that show until I was watching one particular segment of it. Cause obviously it's kind of a forgettable name for a TV show Mm -hmm. or a whatever you want to call it. So yeah, just talk about that and (laughs) my experience with binge watching that and, uh, the uniqueness of that, like Tim and Eric style of comedy that exists. And mm-hmm. you and I have talked about before. Well, uh, try to shrink my feelings on, uh, you know, my emotions and why I find, I think you should leave so funny. Um, so <laughs> I
1: look forward to that. Uh, speaking of, uh, shrinking your feelings and trying to, to gauge your reaction to stuff, just, just for funsies. I I'm going to, do a quick segment during After Hours where I just tell you about all the, the newer developments on the MCU. I want to gauge how few fucks you give about a- everything that I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> I'm going to list like five different projects that I've watched that are coming out that I want to see like, you know, on a scale of from I don't care to I really don't care. I want to see like where they fall in your in your okay. barometer and then just kind of like do something different because this past weekend i didn't really watch anything other than the things that i had to watch but uh, something that my wife and i fall back on whenever we're too tired to pay attention to anything else it's just we have a few reality shows that we put on and just not do anything on the other than just chill on the couch while well, they happen so i want to tell you a little bit about it because i kind of i know that you watch some reality tv and i know you're familiar yeah. with gordon ramsay so um curious to get your your opinions on some of that so we have reality tv in my household plus uh, alex's uh, lack of interest in the mcu plus i think you should leave and why alex finds it funny a very quirky contrast after hours uh, awaits you
0: very all over the place
1: so if any of that sounds interesting go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime and then you can look at all our tiers and see if there's anything that catches your eye see if you want to contribute and become part of the contrarian supplements
0: do it man i always make food analogies and i'm running out of them it's a dollar go over there listen to us you know you want to you know you want to hear what we have to say you know you, know, you could just cancel afterwards but you want to you want to give us that dollar and hear what we have to say about <laughs> i think you should leave and what just dribble Julio is going to tell me about Marvel while while I sit here and yeah. Okay, cool. Why not? (laughs) Nah, I kid. We, we love and appreciate all our patrons. If, you know, if you like what we do here and you want to hear more of it, or if you just want to support us, you guys know what to do. Uh, if you want to find some movie that you really want to put us through the ringer, uh, be it like an all time classic movie or like a Freddie got fingered style bad movie, you know, you know how to do it. We'll keep doing what we're doing here. If you want that little extra, throw us some coin. You'll be able to check that out. But whatever the case, patrons, listeners, we appreciate you all.
1: Now for the for the the main course, the real deal,
0: the real talk, real deal, holy field. <laughs> I mean, I obviously nothing we say here is going to be breaking any ground. This is not going to be one of our episodes of you know more kind of niche in the weeds type movies this is obviously one of the bigger ones we've ever covered so i don't think we're going to be saying things that necessarily have not been said anywhere before so before we get to you know what we're thinking about it here because i don't even want to know what julio's takeaway is before we get the formalities out of the way (laughs) julio 86 percent of rotten tomatoes that does mean obviously and we know this movie is known to have haters worldwide for the past uh, 22 years. So what are the official haters, the rotten bunch on Rotten Tomatoes saying about it?
1: Official haters, people that just went on the record saying this movie is not good. Uh, James Berdinelli from Real Views says, I had to employ all of my usual tricks to keep from falling asleep. I'm very okay. tempted <laughs> to click on that review just to see if he actually lists the tricks. Does he pinch <laughs> himself? <laughs> <laughs> to keep one of his hands like in a bowl of water, like cold water. Um, Jeff Weiss from Deseret News, Salt Lake City, says if there was ever a movie that could be accused of being both too subtle and too heavy-handed at the same time, it would be The Sixth Sense. I mean, I, I can see it. I don't know that it's a bad thing. Like I guess it, it's. I think it's subtle and it's heavy-handed. I don't know if it's too subtle and too and too heavy-handed. And then Ron Wells from Film Threat says, "I would like to say that writer director M Night Shyamalan is a stunning new voice and talent working in Hollywood today. Unfortunately, that pronouncement will have to wait for at least one more film." How what do was the you date think? Oh, uh, I mean that is from the day of because they say that would have that, had to been like a
0: release, yeah. Mm,
1: so I wonder if Ron Wells liked Unbreakable. At what point did Ron Wells lose faith in Shyamalan? Is he still waiting to pronounce him <laughs> a fresh new
0: voice? <laughs> he just does that same review every time. Same thing. Uh, I would assume there's people that really like Unbreakable and not The Sixth Sense. I don't know. So, Julio, I guess just hit me with it. Did this movie hold up to how you had viewed it and your opinion of it?
1: Uh, well, but see, I am not coming at it as in I didn't worship at the altar of The Sixth Sense. Um, I I didn't dislike it, but I I know I mentioned it. I think maybe with signs that to me the Sixth Sense was just uh, an okay movie with a great twist with a great ending. That's how I thought about it. And having only seen it once, I never. This is the first time that I've rewatched it. You know, and like we talked about in Contrary's Corner, it is inescapable that once you know the the twist, it's a different movie. It's a different experience. So. Even though I remember most of the plot points, I it was still like the experience of watching the movie was very different. And I found it surprisingly uh, rewarding. Like it was not what I expected. I thought that it was going to be what we joked about in Constraints Corner. I thought that knowing the twist would kind of suck the magic out of the movie. Yeah, But instead, I actually found that it enhanced it because it is so much more compelling, so much more emotional when you know that Cole is talking to a ghost, that Bruce Willis is a ghost. Even though Bruce Willis doesn't know, Cole knows and we know, and that makes their interaction very, uh, it's a lot more poignant. Like, I understand why I felt that way after the first time I watched it, because, like, watching it right now, you know, watching it tonight, as it was going and it got to the end, I'm like, man, before you get to the Bruce Willis reveal... This was cool, but it was almost like, a, like it could have been almost like an episode of TV show, like a well-produced episode of TV show. But it's not going to be particularly memorable, at least not mm-hmm. for me. But then the twist is not just because the twist pulls the rug from under you and surprises you. It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But also because it makes everything else that happened better, at least in my opinion. So yeah. the twist actually makes it a great movie. It's not. So I was wrong. It's not an okay movie with a great twist. It's a great movie with a great twist. It's just that it was hard to appreciate it the first time around. At least in my experience, it has become a better movie on rewatch. How about you?
0: Obviously, it sounds like my opinion of it was a bit higher uh, going into it. That uh, article you and I tag team last year, whenever that was, about memorable movie theater experiences Mm -hmm. memorable summer movie experiences right like clear as day remember going to see this for my buddy's birthday and just sitting there in the theater and just being like
1: whoa Um,
0: (laughs) so there's like this embedded nostalgia that's always going to be there that i really enjoy about it but then i probably saw it again two or three times in the years that followed i haven't seen this movie start to finish in at least 15 years but anyway like in my mind, it was still a really good movie. And so watching it tonight, you can't unsee that he's dead. So you, that's never that ha, that's going to happen once. That's Luke, I am your father. You see that once. And your mm-hmm. emotion to that happens one time. But much like uh, The Empire Strikes Back, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't rewatch it and enjoy it and find things to take away from it. Uh, yes, there are plot holes. And yes, a lot of the things that people make fun of this movie uh, about are accurate and funny um, but that doesn't mean that i don't think it's a really great movie uh, it doesn't mean that i don't think the performances are excellent and then the beats that are hit aren't great i think they are and you know there's plenty of movies that we've talked about and uh, halloween is my favorite movie ever yes there's plot holes and yes <laughs> there's things about it that like don't make sense and are very silly and the things people make fun of about are mostly accurate i don't care I think it's awesome. And that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at with the sixth sense of if you want to go through it with a comb and say, well, this doesn't make sense. This we We pointed out things that don't make sense in the movie. I don't care. I guess that's my point. M night Shyamalan, when he made this movie wrote that, but that's not the shit he cared about. And when I see a movie like this, that, okay, well it doesn't care about these minor infractions. So I don't really need to either. But when I see what the movie does care about, which is the relationship with Cole and Malcolm, And just the idea of what's going on around Malcolm or excuse me, Cole Mm -hmm. and his like coping and accepting with it and using Malcolm and, you know, in the end, helping him what the things this movie cares about. It does an incredible job with. So it's a movie that I kind of refuse to get hung up on the little, you know, inaccuracies or nuances about it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for, I mean, all the, how easy it is to criticize the logic behind uh, Bruce Willis's situation, I guess. Uh, I mean, Shumalan does go- do a pretty decent job at just kind of covering his ass once yeah. the reveal happens, because basically you have Cole saying that, well, they don't know that they're dead and they see what they want to see. So you can kind of, like like we said in extension, right? Like you can, you know, oh, the robots program themselves to believe they're human. Therefore, they don't perceive all the things that make them not human. And same thing here. It's like Bruce Willis believes that he's still alive and his mind won't let him see anything that would prove otherwise. So he doesn't notice, you know, in, in his mind, he fills in the gaps, I guess, with you know, oh, I'm just losing time. I'm sorry. I'm always working. That's why I don't see my wife so often. I can buy it. I, I don't really. I I know that we can get hung up on it, and that's kind of like what we're doing in Contreras Corner. But yeah, I I think that it's fine not to get started on the like, man, how far he has come or how far you know he's fallen. But this was this is so well written compared to other things that Shyamalan's done later on. You know what I mean? Like this is not just that he nailed all the emotional stuff. And let that carry the movie. Like, I think that overall, like, the structure is well. Like, it's so smart. I I love the fact that we don't see the ghosts until Cole tells Bruce Willis. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it makes sense, right? But the fact that he designs the movie to where, like, the first half, you don't know what this kid is. Or at least you're not supposed to know what this kid is going through. And then once he tells Bruce Willis and it happens, I think, like dead in the middle. Now the movie changes and now you see everything that he's seen. So you start seeing like all the ghosts, all the apparitions and it's just, it's a different tone. You know, that structure to me is great. Um, Mm -hmm. But that reminds me like one of my biggest problems the first time I watched it, which was that I, I remember feeling bored during that first half because the trailer had already told me that this kid was seeing dead people. And uh, Mm -hmm. so to me, I kept waiting for the reveal to happen. I was like, can we get to the part where he says, I see the people so that the movie can really start? And, you know, that happens really late on. Did you have that experience? Do you remember? Had you seen the trailer? And did you know that he that that's what go, what was going on with, with the kid?
0: Probably. I mean, I would have had to have known what this movie was going into it and had seen the trailer, the TV spots or something. Uh, obviously, I was too young to let that kind of thing really sway my judgment process the first time I saw it. And, you know, I was still trying to, cope and accept uh phantom menace at that point in time trying to (laughs) make sense of that so we all were so no if i had been the age i am now or even if i was like 18 or 19 i probably would have been like exactly what you're explaining that's how i would have felt going into it that's kind of the thing that's interesting about the rewatch because it almost feels like a game (laughs) like -hmm. when you Mm -hmm. rewatch you're like trying to see all the oh this is you know there this that that trying to figure out the things you missed the first go around, which is obviously the hallmark of an incredibly written film is going back and trying to you know pick up on things you didn't catch the first go around. So to answer your question, no, that didn't weigh on me the first time I saw it much like the reveal, the, the second go around, it's like, just kind of waiting for it to come, but it's not like dude made a good movie and then just bad movies. Like he made I understand how hyperbolic it is, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. This movie like changed everything, and filmmakers have been striving since this movie to do something as impactful as the reveal at the end of this movie. And I feel like the general sentiment amongst the industry is that everything's been done. That's why we're relying on remakes, reboots, and just superhero mm-hmm. movies and shit. So I could see almost the, the jaded folk... Or, you know, younger people just not understanding, like, how big of a deal this movie was. It was like a historical event we lived through type thing. But you take that away and you just go to what you were saying. It's just baffling. To your point, I don't want to get yet to the discussion of, you know, his devolution mm-hmm. or whatever his career has been. But that scene with Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette in the car, mm-hmm. that that is elite level shit. That is highest of the high both from a writing perspective and acting perspective and even the way the shots are framed and the way it looks and everything mm-hmm. it's just it's like holy shit this guy made the happening and he, <laughs> he was able to craft this scene that and you know even bruce he's you know bruce late 90s bruce is kind of doing his own thing a lot of the time <laughs> uh he hadn't yet settled into what we know him as as now you know what i mean oh it's no. just kind of he was still there was still effort here and there this it seems like he still was willing enough to seem vulnerable on on screen yep which is like a a huge thing and that final scene with him is great his just physical acting his body language and his facial reactions to like listening to the tape of vincent and you know turning it up and hearing the the ghost in the background that type of thing I guess the easiest way I could sur- sur- surmise what I'm trying to get across here is I couldn't believe how much I still liked it. I couldn't believe like how high of an opinion I have of it. Walking away from it here, it's certainly the one to end on because it made me rethink everything you know we've been doing for the past two months in relation to <laughs> M Night Shyamalan and
1: it was the twist at the end of the <laughs> Shyamalanology.
0: I think we had a, a similar experience in that it was. It was almost surprising at how how much this holds up and how good it is, despite the fact that a lot of its legacy seems to be that this movie only hinges on the reveal at the end.
1: Yeah, that's that is a, a misconception. I think I, I imagine that many people saying that are people like me, people that saw it once and didn't come back. I find it hard to believe that you would watch The Sixth Sense a second time and not fully appreciate how much richer it is as a story mm-hmm. when you know that, that Bruce Willis is dead. Is, there is so much more... Uh, I, I just found every scene between him and Haley Joel Osment just carried so much more sadness because it's this kid <laughs> on top of everything. like The one person that he can talk to is somebody that's dead and Bruce Willis doesn't even know it. Haley Joel Osment is kind of like coaching him through it because, I mean, it's like we said in Contreras' Corner, he doesn't tell him. He knows that he's dead, but he doesn't tell him. So the the dance that they have is so complex and it can only be appreciated after you've seen the movie once. Now, I've always said a movie shouldn't require... I mean, it's great that when you watch a movie a second time, a third time, or whatever, and they and it gives you new things and it becomes a better experience or whatever, but I've never subscribed to the idea that that kind of thing excuses making uh, a movie that is not a great experience the first time around, right? Like, to me, if your movie's not good enough the first time around, I'm not going to come back for a second or third or fourth. It, yeah, and, and The Sixth Sense is good enough in that first time around because that that ending is so memorable. And still, I just was not prepared for how much better it was going to be the second time around. It's crazy. I don't know if you've heard of this or, or if, you know, it came up while well, you were reading about the movie, but the, the fact that he didn't, like Shyamalan, did not come up with the idea of Bruce Willis being dead until he was on the eighth draft, I think. So, wow. I know, that's, you know, to, to me, the idea that he was writing a much more straightforward movie, you know, where it's just like, oh, it's a kid that can see that people and this psychiatrist, psychologist is helping him. So he was writing the movie that it, that it seems like we're watching, you know, until you get to the twist. And then at some point he realized... Oh, you know what would be great if Bruce Willis was dead, also, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that—that's the moment where he changed history. You know, where he kept rewriting until he got to something that was truly special. I mean, I will, you know, go back to that. I mean, if you take the twist away, then this movie is just—it's just a horror movie. Do you disagree with mm-hmm.
0: that? No. One of the things I did find Julio kind of falls in line with that. Uh, Toni Collette had said she was so moved by the emotional resonance of the story while filming. She didn't even realize it was a horror film until after it was released. So (laughs) it is not on my horror shelf. So I would agree with you on that. I do not classify this as a horror movie. There are jump scares. There are elements of it that are uh, definitely frightening, but I view this as more of like a, you know, like a fictional drama type thing. Mm -hmm. And because of the ending there, because that completely changes the entire movie, and that's something I did not appreciate, uh, maybe even until this viewing, just the whole idea because Cole knows he's dead the whole time, right? He mm-hmm. knows that Bruce Willis is dead,
1: yeah, there's I don't think there's a question of that like, okay, I, yeah, because he runs that that's one of the things I loved, like that you know, obviously I didn't catch the first time, and that is that he's running away from Bruce Willis at the very beginning of the movie because he's afraid of him. <laughs> Not because he's a kid that doesn't want to, you know, have a sit down with, with the doctor. It's just because oh. it's like, oh, another one of these fuckers. And he runs and he hides in the church.
0: <laughs> I see. Okay. But yeah, to the the whole point of it, it changes the whole movie and it makes it so much better. And to your point, you're exactly right. If the movie had just ended, you know, I don't know how it would have ended if Bruce Willis wasn't dead, but it changes it from being just kind of like a eh, one of those 13 Ghosts, uh, Mm -hmm. Queen of the Damned, one of those really like just kind of cheesy late 90s horror movies that was released to being the sixth sense. And, you know, we had mentioned there towards the end of uh, Contrarian's Corner, Haley Joel Osment had an interesting run of it. Uh, I do not at all question that he should have received a, you know, Best Supporting Actor Academy Award nomination for this. He's so fucking good in it. Mm hmm. In addition, M. Night Shyamalan was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, uh, as well as Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, Tony Collette was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and the movie was also nominated for Best Film Editing. It won none of them. That's when so they Shyamalan left- said, I'll show you.
1: <laughs> and they left Bruce out in the cold. I'm like, no, man, uh, you've done better.
0: Bruce was good, but let's, you know, we can pump the <laughs> brakes on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Best Supporting Actor went to Michael Kane for The Cider House Rules Best Supporting uh, Actress of course in 2000 went to Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted uh, and then the one-two combination of Best Picture and Best Director both fell with uh, Mr. Sam Mendes for American, American
1: Beauty. Beauty Tom Cruise was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor that was the one I was rooting for and Man, that I-
0: was a loaded uh, Michael Kane, Tom Cruise, Michael Clark Duncan Jude Law and then little Haley Joel Osment
1: all great movies, too. That's uh, The Green Mile and uh, Talented Mr. Ripley,
0: right? You got it.
1: Star-studded, all-star team. I really like uh, Holly Joel Osman. I like them a lot more now than the first time I watched the movie. Again, it's just the kind of things that we build up in our heads as mm-hmm. years go by, and you just remember certain aspects of the movie. So to me... Whenever I thought of his performance in The Sixth Sense, I just thought of this little kid whispering all the time, and that is not accurate <laughs> at all. He has, no. he, he, I mean, he does a fair share of whispering, it's well delivered, but there's also a lot more to his character. Like Bruce Willis, the, the, his whole thing is Bruce Willis is almost monotone here, and and that's fine because that's what he's going for. But um, yeah, Haley Joel Osment has a lot more variety in what he does with with his voice and with his behavior. And he, I'd forgotten that there are a couple of moments where he's actually playful. Uh, most notably, when he's trying to recreate the magic trick, like I completely forgotten about that because that's just so lighthearted, you know, compared to just how torture he is most of the movie, and then. And I guess the previous scene where he tells Bruce Willis something like, uh, I didn't think that you were funny or I didn't think you were the, the funny kind of person or whatever. It, it's just that made me laugh out loud when he called him out on that because he's just so dead serious. I guess that's the you said that was the audition scene for Michael Sarah, So, yeah, <laughs> Sarah didn't nail it. But uh, Haley Joel Osment did. So he's great.
0: They complement each other so well with their performances. Mm hmm.
1: It's I don't know how how old was he was Haley Joel Osment but he is so good at selling the scares too that and, and I don't think I would appreciated that enough the first time I watched the movie just how he looks like a little kid that's terrified you know child actors are hit or miss and you know you, with him it was clear that they got somebody that could do all the things so that that was great now Tony Collette I remember thinking that her nomination. Way back then, I was like, really? The mom from The Sixth Sense? like, I didn't really get it, because all the good stuff that comes with her performance, I think I was too young to appreciate the first time. Yeah, And I told you, whenever we brought up The Sixth Sense in the Shambhal anthology, I knew that one of the things I was most excited about in this revisit was uh, seeing Toni Collette's performance, because over the years, I've grown to really like her as an actress, and I'm like, I'm sure that she brought something to The Sixth Sense that just... Went over my head back in the '90s, and that is hundred percent true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is also part of the screenplay, obviously. But I, I just like how it's not just that she's strong, but also, but that she is strongly on her son's side. And so, when you get to that end scene where he drops the bomb on her, that he sees that people, that he can see that people that he's been talking to the grandma, like I buy that she believes him, that she mm-hmm. takes a moment to kind of regroup and tell him, okay, we're going to figure this out and gives him the chance to provide, you know, somewhat proof of what he's saying. If her performance hadn't tracked throughout the movie, you know, if hadn't set the foundation for that big ending. It would that have been just like apart. we were
0: saying. Like this is so unbelievable that right. she could believe this. Yeah. Why,
1: why didn't she take him to a doctor right away? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. But instead, you buy it. You're like, yeah, she, she loves her kid. She's been trying to figure out what's wrong with him. What's going on? Why won't he talk to him? And now he's telling her, and she makes a decision to believe him, and and then that ends with the whole story about the the grandmother. So she's so good, and I, I don't mind the accent. I don't know what she's going for. I've never heard her speak with that accent and I, I mean i dig it for the character I, when it comes to accents it has to be something really like outlandish for me to like point out and say like oh this is taking me out of the movie it was more of a novelty i don't know how did you feel about her accent cuz we kind of joked well, yeah. about it about it a lot <laughs> in conference corner
0: yeah but i mean they're in philadelphia it's very logical that's if she you know her character grew up in jersey or you know new york city or something and got transplanted uh, and, and, you know, ended up in Philadelphia along the way. Or like I said, Philadelphians have a very unique way of talking and an accent. And uh, at no point was it anywhere near something that took me out of the movie. All it did was it made me think her character was tougher than all the other moms that they introduced <laughs> just because she had, like, you know, that city accent going for her.
1: Yeah. She's so good, man. She's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, yeah, 100% give her that nomination. It, it was very well deserved. I don't remember what else was going up against, uh, you know, uh, Shyamalan in the screenplay department, but I am glad that they they acknowledged it too. They're like, man, that's a hell of a. I guess we all think of it as a debut, but it wasn't really his debut. He'd been building up to it for a little while.
0: Yeah, that's like, um, like the Ramones kind of got their big push with like Rocket to Russia, which was like their third album. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's that type of thing. Of what was Metallica. Master of Puppets, I think, was like their first big breakout. And then and Justice for All, you know, those were their third and fourth albums. So uh, I can think of other analogies that aren't rock bands with white guys in it. But, you know, that's all that's coming to mind right now.
1: <laughs> hey, Aerosmith, I think their first one was, uh, their first big hit was Toys in the Attic. But before that, they had Get Your Wings. And before that, they had Aerosmith, the self-titled Aerosmith. There you go. Well, I, was, there you go. I can I can play your game.
0: They all can't be Appetite for Destruction, which was Guns N' Roses' first album. They're they're not all going to be that. But just kind of finishing up with Tony Collette there. uh, Yeah, one of the aspects of the movie that I I would say her and Haley Joel and Bruce, the three leads, you know, you have uh, Bruce's wife in this as well, uh, Olivia Williams, who's fine Mm -hmm. for what her role calls for. But it's something good to say about when all the, when those characters are on screen, they all command attention and they all have a presence about them. Uh, and yeah, Tony Collette is like the perfect cooler, so to speak in this, because it's usually these scenes that build the real tension or between Haley Joel Osment and Bruce Willis. And then you'll have, you'll have tension like that whole dinner scene about the brooch with Mm Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment, but then it kind of resolves itself at the end with the embrace and, uh, obviously, I think this go around, my favorite scene was that one in the car with them at the end. You had mentioned the scenes with Haley Joel Osmond and Bruce Willis and, and just like the way Haley Joel plays them all. I, I never really caught and uh, never had as much, got as much enjoyment as I did this go around from their last scene together, where it's like the only scene in the movie where Haley Joel Osmond's like happy because mm-hmm. he's like found his purpose with this affliction that he has and he's going to, you know, carry on with it and do good with it, which is great. Uh Donnie Wahlberg is almost unrecognizable in this and for a guy that I've spent a lot of my life mocking as just a person not not as like a human being but like as an actor and uh he has some lines that are just so bad in Saw 2 that me and my old roommate shut down brown it, we would they were like part of our everyday vernacular like we would just say them to each other like in passing or uh, When we would jokingly get mad at one another, there was a line he has in one of the Saw movies where his son's like, well, then then I'm just going to go to mom's house or something like that. And Donnie Wahlberg, like acting, he's like, then go and like yells at him. (laughs) We used to say that shit all the time, just about, you know, (laughs) hey, I'm gonna go to Taco Bell, then go, you know, that (laughs) type of thing. So seeing him in something like this is a very minor part, but it is incredibly memorable. And he's very good at it, and he's obviously very tormented. and It's very sad, it's very believable. I'm happy to say this will probably replace my Donnie Wahlberg, like my go to you know, like <laughs> the, your brain, your schema, how you have like the, the Wikipedia thumbnail for whenever you think of something. That would be Donnie Wahlberg. Up until this point, it was Saw, and he was at he was like a ring announcer at WrestleMania 10. And when he was walking down to the ring, Vince McMahon goes, yeah, N-K-O-T-B. So that's obviously something I always think of when Donnie Wahlberg comes up.
1: Um, Now that we're in real talk, how do you feel about him popping up as a doctor?
0: That is, I would use the word inconsequential. That part could have been anybody. You or I could have done that. And so it's not something that I have too much of an umbrage with. I, I like it. In our Signs episode, I really meant what I said about how eye-rolling his reveal was in that. And I still love that movie. Mm -hmm. So if that's not enough to dissuade me from that, him in this certainly is not going to affect my thought process. It's a very small role. Uh, I'm glad that he doesn't have more of a back and forth with Tony Collette because then it could have potentially (laughs) fallen apart because she's obviously in a completely different galaxy of him and acting ability. (laughs) So... But I kind of want to see
1: Tony Collette just demolish him and, you know, delete it scenes.
0: <laughs> they just start riffing and then end up getting just really <laughs> pissed off at each other. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it didn't bother me either. I just, I laughed because I'd forgotten it, that, you know, he was going to show up as a doctor. That just made me laugh. So we're in agreement that the cast is great. We like the script. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we both fall on the side of this is as good, if not even better, than the hype leads you to believe yes but i guess inevitably we have to look at everything that's come since and where we are now
0: (laughs) and before we do that i need to make sure you know i was so excited about this i just jumped right in Like customaries oh yeah yeah yeah. this was released on august 6th of 1999 and took the world by storm had a budget of 40 million dollars with a box office return of over $670 million. Did okay for itself. <laughs> I'm not going to go down the whole list of things it was nominated for, but uh, you know, outside of the Academy Awards, it cleaned up and was nominated for a ton of shit elsewhere. So that covers that. And yes, it brings us to the inevitable conclusion of the Shamal Anthology, in which we get as jerry (laughs) springer would say and now my final thought (laughs) what happened what happened it's the perfect the perfect one to end on because both of us it's better than we remembered it but for things that are like it's not just that the turn the twist works so well and it's not just the acting is great It's like this is a well-written movie Mm -hmm. and you know the There was a couple lines of dialogue in it that was like, yeah, there's Shyamalan poking in, but it what what we knew him as, I'm sorry, what we knew him as to come, um, man, what did happen? Because it's- (laughs) So, Signs is very good. We both agree on that. Signs is not as good as this. Do we agree on that? Yes. Okay. So, even then, we found Signs as like the reprieve. You know, the, okay, he kind of had maybe a misstep, but then he- He's back with signs. I mean, that's that's on
1: your end because I love Unbreakable. So to me,
0: (laughs) Unbreakable is a weird entry because, and I'm not discrediting it. This is not, this is me taking like my personal, like, kind of whatever feelings about it aside. There is a very large contingent of people like yourself and Eddie and people who love Unbreakable. But for whatever reason, that it doesn't get the same type of notoriety that signs or the sixth sense does in, in a weird way. It seems like it's not as universally embraced. It seems, and it's also like this movie that people that use, uh, oh, Sixth Sense was his only good movie is cannon fodder. They kind of seem dismissive of unbreakable, but not in a way that it's bad. They're just like, yeah, it's okay. I've always found the discussion about that movie to be interesting because it's the, like, the one Shyamalan movie that no one thinks is bad, but also has this like huge amount of love for it, but people don't really celebrate it as a Shyamalan movie. Not the they don't talk about that movie the same way they do the sixth sense or even like his bad movies. It's just very strange. That, that could be solely my experience with talking to people about it. I
1: I think that we both, we've run in different circles when it comes to that, because what you're describing is my experience with science. Like for me, science is a Ah. movie that people are just like, eh, you know, it's, it's not great. Like the people that love it, love it. And the people that don't love it are just like, okay, well, it's not one of Shyamalan's best, but, uh, Mm -hmm. That's how you feel about Unbreakable. That's how or, or that's how you perceive Unbreakable, which is really funny because in my mind, Unbreakable is—I don't know—I think it has like a more passionate base uh, on both ends, right? The people that truly hate Unbreakable and the people that really love Unbreakable.
0: So remind me of this because we're here. We're we'll, we're just gonna take it here. Uh, <laughs> there's not a big twist in Unbreakable, is there?
1: Um, there is two big reveals, but it's a uh, but yeah, the twist is obviously. Nothing compared to the twist in the Sixth Sense. In the same way that the twist, you know, in science is also nothing. I mean, I don't think any Shyamalan twists have ever lived up to what the Sixth Sense, you know, set up as the standard. What it has going for itself is that it's kind of a very unique superhero movie, and uh, especially at a time when superhero movies were still hadn't taken over the world. So Mm. it was very unique, like. The for him to have that as a follow-up to The Sixth Sense was just very, like, oh, man, he really is a very special filmmaker. He has his own voice, right? He did his ghost story movie, then he did his superhero movie, then he did his alien movie. You're like, man, this guy, what is he going to come up with next? It, it, so to me, like, his first stumble was really The Village. Like, I think that that's kind of, most people would agree with that.
0: So when we did Signs, we talked about Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs unbreakable and signs didn't critically or from a fanfare perspective, despite both obviously having passionate fan bases live up to the sixth sense, but it was still the notion that he was going to be a player in the game for years to come. And like a very influential one. And then it just, we had lady in the water, the happening last airbender after earth, <laughs> man. I don't know if Uwe bowl had a series of movies that bad. <laughs> You see things in the sixth sense that would become, and I'm not just talking about him being in the movie, the scene in the jewelry shop about the ring. Yep. yep. <laughs> the Some of the dialogue that Olivia Williams has in you know talking about and praising her husband. There are these flashes that because everything else in this movie fucking rules, they don't really stand out. These would become things that would be standard for M. Night Shyamalan movies moving forward, which, you know, you see director's traits amplify as time goes on. That doesn't explain how, you know, these movies, these premises and these scripts just incrementally got worse and worse and worse. Do you think he was a guy that had a couple of ideas and then they did so well? that he just had to keep going, <laughs> just like faking it. Like uh, It's like, Oh, you know, his next movie is going to be like, Oh, well, and then, you know, uh, uh, a, a turtle uh, comes <laughs> and he becomes president. Uh, you know, that would be the joke of like, you know, um, pulling a Homer that episode where he accidentally saves the town of Springfield from like a nuclear uh, explosion and then everyone keeps expecting him to do something good, and he everyone just learns he's like actually really dumb and doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously, not saying Shyamalan's dumb, but you know what I mean. Like, do you think he just had a few ideas and then ran out of fuel, or do you think it's a a matter of him buying his own hype? You know, obviously, this guy is doing well for himself, and he's doing better than me and Julio are doing in life. So God bless him, but it's just. This is something we you have to talk about anytime he comes up because it's not a matter of – it's not Star Wars. It's not, you know, subjective in the sense of I prefer this one over this one uh, or I think this one sucks, knowing all the while that people love it. He <laughs> made this movie and then went on in the past years to become like A punchline in the sense of people still go see his movies but universally reviled movies one after another (laughs) have come out by him so Julio I'm all ears hit me with what you're you're, you think the reasoning is for this
1: well I mean there is obviously there's no way of knowing but here's where what seems to me like the scariest option the scariest possibility which is that can you imagine being Emna Shemalan and making The Sixth Sense, making Unbreakable, making Signs, even making The Village, and then slowly, laying in the water, The Happening, last Lacerbender, is slowly kind of like losing your way and not being able to find your way back. That has to be terrifying, you know? Like, yeah, to not even know how it went wrong. You're like, hey, I set out to tell a story. Every time I sit down, I write a script... And then I shoot it the best way I know, and for some reason the first three times they were massive hits, and then at some point it just stopped working, and I don't know what else to do. Like that—that that has to be scarier than anything that's happened in any of these movies. Um, <laughs> it could also be a refusal to to keep doing the same thing. You know, he's like, I could keep making movies that are like The Sixth Sense, like signs like unbreakable you know i guess stuff that's a little more traditional but instead i want to go into like offshoots and uh you know like uh i watched the visit uh which is one of his you know somewhat recent movies and it's it's an okay horror movie it's not anywhere near as good as or, or complex or you know even
0: uh, is that the one with Catherine hahn
1: yeah, but she's barely in it. It's mostly two kids. Okay. Yeah, you know, just... And it's it's kind of like found footage. It's just like M. Night Shyamalan's found footage movie. And, you Oof. know, it's not as bad as that sounds. But it's not great. But it's it's him, like, I would say, you know, him trying something new. I guess he's like, well, what is an M. Night Shyamalan movie that is the found footage movie? And it turns out that, at least in my opinion, it wasn't anything memorable. And then... You know, he chose to continue the story of Unbreakable and, you know, he made Split, then he made Glass. And it felt like he was doing that movie in a way as a response to the way that superhero movies are being done today. And it still feels like maybe that's one of the things that led to his movies changing is just that he decided that he wanted to do new things. And that's good. I guess an artist, you know, everybody wants to try new things, but maybe that's just not something that he's good at. You know, I I wonder how his process might have changed from those early years to how he makes movies now. And I, I mean, I know I mentioned this when we talked about it, some movie, the idea that, you know, with bands and how like their first album is always something they've been working on for years. And then usually the albums that follow, they're albums that were produced in, you know, much shorter spans of time. And therefore they sometimes lack the impact and the complexity of that first album and you can apply it to a uh, filmmaker's first movie and yeah granted The Sixth Sense was not Shyamalan's first movie but it was something clearly that was so far beyond what he had done up to that moment and so maybe it was that idea that had been in the back of his head for like a long time and same thing for Unbreakable you know if he's a superhero fan he likes comics maybe that's something that he'd been thinking about for a while and it's like what happens when you like are done with those movies that had been percolating in your head for decades, and mm-hmm. now you're like, well, now I have to do one almost from scratch, and that's where you come up with like *Late in the Water*. <laughs> you come up with *Late in the Water*, or you come up with, uh, you know, *The Happening*. I don't know how much you've seen of him behind the scenes or like his interviews or whatever, but the- he is very, um, uh, uh, almost like old-fashioned when he talks about storytelling and you know the the movie business and all that stuff you know he's one of those guys that's uh you would like him alex because he's all about you know watching things in theaters and film and all that stuff <laughs> But yeah uh, i've never i mean i haven't been i haven't gone looking for sort of like a tell all shamalan interview where he breaks down his career and answers the question that we're posing here he's like this is where it went wrong and i'm gonna tell you why this is where i started doing drugs <laughs> that's where my career just <laughs> went down in flames I, I I haven't gone looking for it but if nothing else it doesn't feel like he strikes me as a guy that's just kind of like pretty proud of his entire body of work and so that could be also something if you don't acknowledge that some things are not working then you don't feel the need to fix them. So if mm-hmm. he thinks that the happening and the Lesser Bender, you know and after Earth are good movies, that just didn't get a fair shake from the audience and from critics, then of course... There's he's... no
0: reasoning with this man.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. It's like, well, why would he change anything he's doing, right? Uh, I know he did a television show a while ago. Uh, what's it called? wadeward Pines or something? Like, I remember seeing him tweet about it. And I was curious, but not curious enough to check it out. But I wonder if that is, if when you watch it, it's very much a Shyamalan production. And it just feels like, you know, a collection of the things that we've grown to love and hate about him, or if it's something completely new, if he just adapted to TV in a different way. I don't know. I mean, at this point, Alex, how excited are you to watch Old if you're excited at all? Not. Even though you know that it could be another Six sense. Well, I guess not anymore, because we've seen that the, the reception has been pretty divided, but you stopped caring about Shyamalan a while ago. Like as far as like going to see one of his movies, like it was a, a must see event.
0: Mm-hmm. After the happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's funny. A lot of the things you were just, descri- cause of course I can always make it a, a parallel to wrestling. Um, listening to you describe, you know, his career and some of the factors of it, you know, getting in his own head about what worked, what worked and what didn't, but still finding success. There's this wrestler named Kenny Omega who uh, in 2017 had this really famous match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, which is this big Japanese event that happens in the Tokyo Dome. Anyway, still, to this day, one of the greatest matches I have ever seen. It was unbelievable. (laughs) It it was everything that wrestling can be, and it's everything that I put up with for how dumb wrestling is and the embarrassment that comes along with being a fan of it. The The matches like that that happen are why you hang on to it and are things that make you proud to be a wrestling fan. And ever since then, he's not been able to find that again or recapture that. There's people that still really enjoy what he does, and he obviously really enjoys what he does. But for me personally, it's a perfect parallel because he had this match that like set the world on fire. And then ever since then, it just seems like is very set in his ways and not particularly interested in you know outside criticism and just wants to keep doing shit the exact same way that he wants to keep doing it and that could come from the things that you were just saying about Shyamalan and that's what was really I was finding interesting about what you we were talking about there it could be and I'm talking about Shyamalan again now Kenny Omega you're done go away <laughs> uh <laughs> uncertainty that, I had never thought about that, what you said about, like, I'm here now, what the fuck do I do? Uh, how do I keep doing this over and over again? Or just, you know, brother knows what he wants to make and doesn't really give a shit what other people think, which to a certain degree is respectable. Because he's still, we're 22 years after this, and he's still getting, you know, projects funded and being given high amounts of money. The budget on old was $18 million, which is a lot of money and he's still you know, being given free reign to do what he wants to do because he's still M. Night Shyamalan, and to some people, that name's a punchline. Some people, there will be eternal contrarians that act like everything he makes is great, <laughs> but his name still packs a punch. He's still M. Night Shyamalan because, as we said at the, the onset of this, from now until the end of time, he will always be the guy that made the sixth sense, and it has been proven... That if you make something that good, you're granted uh, unlimited retries. <laughs> he
1: he has the unlimited continuous code from here till the end of time.
0: Uh, yeah, he typed in the contra code at the opening credits of uh, <laughs> yeah. Six Sense. It's I said Guns and Roses earlier. You know how many shitty songs Axel Rose has written, yeah, but he, fucker sang Welcome to the Jungle, so yep. let him keep doing whatever he wants. It's fascinating and but it doesn't happen to whole...
1: everybody because just recently we were talking no. about uh, rob zombie and you're like okay well rob zombie is always going to be the guy that did devil's rejects right but that doesn't mean that you and i'm talking about just you specifically but you know that you're going to put up with a whole lot of his shit
0: De Palma, dude <laughs> he's Palma is another example and i i mean from like a perspective of not even like fans but like after uh black dahlia American studios were like, we're not giving this guy money anymore, man. We can't do it. Shyamalan's got the the, the tricks, though. But yeah, I, I, I want to clarify in case Julio confused any first time listeners that <laughs> I do not think Rob Zombie is a filmmaker on par with M. Night Shyamalan. And I do not think that Devil's Rejects is a movie on par with The Sixth Sense. I just want to make sure that's up. <laughs>
1: It was the first one that came to mind because we were talking about him recently.
0: This isn't even something that we can end on a what's next because we know what's next. Until he wants to stop, until he wants to just chill with all his money and his family, he'll just keep making his movies every once in a while.
1: But what happens when he, if he hits it big again? like he, He... Manager. Can to you come imagine? With, yeah, another sixth sense, right? Like he, he he makes a movie that is just as good. And then you have the the headlines, which are like, He's back, baby. And then Shyamalan's gotta be like, I never left.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things like it, you can't even really call it a, re- a tale of redemption, sadly, because it's he still made huge amounts of money that entire time. It's not like he, you know, made the sixth sense and then, uh, the happening happened and then he got addicted to smack and, you know, <laughs> was caught with a bunch of hookers and stuff. It wouldn't even be a tale of redemption, but I'm trying to think it would, it'd be a tale of if first you don't succeed, try, try again. <laughs> now it would, I, I don't know. I don't even know what the message would be in that from an artistic perspective or like a, a filmmaking perspective. Cause it's, if he did, though, I, and I hope that happens just because it would be, you know, the the ultimate would be he makes the big one again, something, you know, the next six cents, like you said, and then, you know, Mike drop and yep. leaves the industry. He, that could be what he's trying to do. He could have, <laughs> you know, a huge blackboard in his basement or, you know, his garage. With all these movie ideas on it, and he thinks that one of them is going to be the big one.
1: <laughs> so he can't wait to finally get another big hit, so he can retire for good.
0: I just imagine, yeah, a big dry erase board in his garage, like you know, behind his Ferrari, and every morning he gets a cup of coffee and he walks out there, and there's like two hundred different, you know, plot one one sentence plots for movies on it, and he just stares at it while he drinks his coffee, figuring out what the next one's going to be. <laughs>
1: He's down to the the one, one world titles. <laughs> it's like old.
0: <laughs> New. <laughs> so winding down here, before we circle back to the Sixth Sense and our final scores on it, he's one of a kind. And that's a good quality to have in any type of art. And he's also someone, you know, you can't always do this. You can't always be Rob Zombie or M. Night Shyamalan and be like, this is what I'm making, and this you just deal with it. Because that obviously doesn't work in the real world of music, television, film, etc. But it's admirable that he reached a certain level of fame, notoriety, and trust from studios that he just could start making just exactly what he wanted. That's a pretty cool place to be. Um, that's a place a lot of people would love to be. And it doesn't come easily. And with good reason, because we saw, yes, arguably three times he was given free reign and it succeeded, but then uh, way more times it did not. Through this journey, though, we found what he's good at, what he's bad at. We've been through the highest highs, lowest lows. And for all the joking and the, is it better than the happening? Is it worse than the happening? I'm okay with the happening the last airbender lady in the water after earth those movies as bad as they are you know i'm fine with those movies existing if it means that signs can exist if it means that the sixth sense can mm-hmm. exist you know in a lot of cases that that would be backwards like your shitty films come first and then it leads to the big crescendo and it doesn't but i'm perfectly fine with the fact that i sat through those movies um i i didn't enjoy them i'm not going to revisit them but the fact that they're out there but i can access signs in the sixth sense, like that, that's all worth it to me. And that's just for me personally. It's an interesting journey, his career, and it's been an interesting journey on this going through this. And we've talked about with some of these arcs that we've done on the podcast. It rings so much clearer, more clearly, and so much harder when you have all these, when you go through them in such a succinct succinct period of time, you know what I mean? If we had mm-hmm. done one a year ago, one this year, one next year, it doesn't have as big of an impact. So the holes are glaring, but <laughs> the lowest lows are not do not outweigh the highest highs at all.
1: Yep. Even though at this point most people would argue that the, the lows are much more numerous than the highs. But still, it's like you said, I agree with you. It's worth it. And I haven't sworn off his movies. I've I've sworn off being excited about a new M. Night Shyamalan release. But I'm not at the point where I'm like, I'm not watching them anymore. I still, I'll get too old eventually. Like, you know, at some point it'll be streaming on Netflix or something and I'll watch it then. But I mean, there are filmmakers that I've sworn off because I'm like, this is not, we don't have enough in common to where I'm going to enjoy your movies. But with Shyamalan, it's happened at least four times for me. Because I, I actually enjoy the village as well, so I'm still gonna keep hope that that could happen again.
0: Yeah, after watching this tonight, I I have to keep hope up. Like this dude made this movie; it could take 50 more tries, but it could still happen again. Just just keep trying. <laughs> Don't give we'll up, up at what night. Comes with. <laughs> we believe in you. Or you know we'll get 30 years down the line here and he's still trying. And if I have kids or, you know, a niece or nephew like, (laughs) well, let me tell you back in my day, this guy made a movie that changed the world. (laughs) Oh boy. What a journey it's been. It's been a lot of fun and putting a a bow on it here. uh, I'm going with an a plus for the sixth sense. I think it's, it is Everything negative that people say about it, there's some merit to it, but I don't care because all the positives of it work so well that it completely erases in my mind any of the holes that could potentially be there. And that's, of course, just my opinion, but A-plus on my end.
1: I I am surprising myself by agreeing with you and giving it five stars. I Boom! As this movie was wrapping up and I was kind of like, you know, blinking away the tears <laughs> as the credits rolled. I was like, "Is this my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie now? That can't be right." (laughs) I need to rewatch Unbreakable and really settle this once and for all. Uh, If
0: I do too, I need to rewatch that, and yeah, we that could potentially be uh, we circle back for a patron, Patron, yeah, (laughs) exclusive, yeah,
1: yeah. But I, if The Sixth Sense is not my new favorite, it's definitely now the solid number two right under unbreakable it's so much better than i thought it was going to be on rewatch so
0: yeah five stars well there it is mr Shyamalan. we thank you for it all the tears <laughs> the laughter the anger the confusion <laughs> that completes the anthology here on the contrarians and we thank you the listeners or for being does with us it this whole alex time. Uh, never know i guess that completes this installment of the shamal anthology
1: well we have uh uh an epilogue of sorts for the shamal anthology that's not going to take place in the contrarians our friend sam from movie reviews and 20qs has invited us to uh to be on show again and he let us pick the movie and alex and i had a little discussion and we decided to to do the village so the village won't get the contrarian's treatment, but they will get the movie reviews and 20Q's treatment, which is just as fun and maybe even better than us having to to try to sort out if we're going to be positive or negative on the village. I mean, you haven't seen it, right, Alex?
0: I have not. Okay. So, I mean, at this point, why not? Let's just get all these out. <laughs>
1: yeah, of exactly. It just seemed like if it was going to happen, why not do it now? Uh, so so keep an eye out for that keep an ear out for that we'll obviously post it everywhere on our social media and let you guys know once the episode is out but uh, as of this recording we haven't even you know watched the movie yet so <laughs> but it's coming it's it's in the future
0: Julio what's on deck for the contrarians proper
1: well speaking of the future speaking of patrons that's it Alex you can't uh, you can't escape what's coming and what's coming is uh, will Smith as a superhero God. <laughs> Will Smith, Jason Bateman, Charlize Theron, Peter Berg behind the camera. It is Hancock.
0: Punishment. Pentance. <laughs> this is Ryan from Spit and Polish tagging me back for recommending they cover the Peter Berg film Very Bad Things. Which they enjoyed, so <laughs> I don't know why the 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 punishment is coming this way, but I guess
1: maybe they enjoy the Hancock. It
0: Nobody enjoyed Hancock.
1: <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So that's that's in the future. That and then of course the natural selection bonus episode just for patrons which we'll record later this week or later this month.
0: All right. Well, that's what's on deck. That completes the Shamal anthology. Before we get out of here, we need to move along to our perennial plugs and give a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Appropriate for six cents. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Ruth it's is the man behind our logo, the man behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, and our upcoming merch. Uh, he is great. Hans can be contacted on Twitter at Mildemonios, or You can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com, or you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe. To see all the stuff that he's working on. He's a novelist. He has podcasts. Uh, he does it all. And actually, he has a novel that's uh, already on sale, only in Peru, sadly. So all of you uh, American listeners, listeners from all around the world, uh, you're gonna have to wait a little to get it. But it's a uh, it's another anthology of sorts. It's a it's a fake Peruvian history book. A chapter is about Peruvian history if zombies had been part of it. And, uh I know. It, he invited me to write one chapter, and it was a lot of fun. I don't really do prose very often. It was nice to flex that muscle. And uh, he sent me pictures of the book. Now it's out. It's called uh, Historia del Peru, like Peruvian history. But instead of the S in history, it's a Z. Uh, because, you know, zombies. Sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to read the whole thing. But anyway, Hans, thank you for all your support.
0: And lastly, Ms. Zoe Perez, our social media guru. Helps curate our Instagram and Facebook game. If you haven't already, Facebook.com slash contrarian prime. Give us a like and Instagram at contrarian prime. We're on there. That's where Zoe uh, makes audio clips, interactive graphics, video clips for us, a bunch of cool stuff. It uh, really helps get our brand and image out there. So, Zoe, we appreciate all that you do. And with all that out of the way, finally bringing to an end this whopper of an episode we hope you all enjoy it and we thank you all for joining us here on the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time this summer of 1999.